It's that time again! Hello, everybody! Happy Thursday! Thank you for tuning in to Rory Sauter and the News. I'm Rory Sauter, your host. I hope you all are doing very well. I hope your week is going accordingly. Big show tonight, lot to address, lot to establish, many notable names in attendance. My first guest has had a hell of a career. She's lived an incredible life, uh, an amazing resume. Uh, Ann Vandersteel joins us for the first time on Rory Sauter in the News. And it is a pleasure. Uh, first and foremost, uh, tell us you know, how it all started. Give us your backstory, all that fun stuff. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, if you weren't awake, I'm awake now. That's a heck of a way to start a show. I love it. Uh, my you backstory, have a lot of energy. Yeah, you do bring the energy. That's awesome. So uh, my backstory is just, you know, I was uh, running my own company when Donald Trump uh, came down the escalator. And I said, you know what? I had used to work for him, Rory, back in the nineties. I said, God, I hope that guy runs for president. And when he came down the escalator in 2015, I said, I guess I'm going to have to do something. So I figured I would get on Twitter. And uh, I had an old Twitter account I never did anything with because it was like Beyonce and Jay-Z land and I really didn't follow those kind of people. Right. So I got on Twitter and one thing led to another. I ended up on a social on a uh, podcast called Your Voice America. Then I launched my own show in 2017 called Steel Truth. And that took us through to today and uh, met Dr. Zelenko along the way. And he asked me to uh, chair his foundation. So here we are doing that. And I'm doing a couple of different shows right now. The Zelenko Report and another one with Brighty on doing their evening news. And it's just it's just been an incredible ride covering the most amazing stories, meeting incredible people, and just having a lot of fun. And you 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 learn a lot about people on the journey, you know. And oh, uh, it, you learn a lot about people on the journey. It's quite it's quite uh, revealing what motivates people, what uh, inspires people. And I find everybody's journey quite interesting, but you know, it, it's, and here we are. So now I get to meet you along the way. It's pretty exciting. It, it's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. Um, I, I want to go back to the nineties working with Trump during, during that time, kind of explain that to the audience. Sure. What was that? What was that like? What was your kind of day-to-day -day operations, you know, Sure. It was simple. I mean, I, I was, uh, I had, it was one of the first jobs out of college and I was working for a lady by the name of Jennifer, Jennifer Tennant. She was the general manager of a property called the Trump Plaza in West Palm. And yeah. Mr. Trump would come in once a week, typically in season when he was in town uh, over at Mar-a-Lago and yeah. he would come in and just check on the office. It was a beautiful two uh, building compound had, uh, we worked on the 17th floor mm -hmm. of the, uh, South tower. And he would come in and uh, just ask questions. Wanted to know what was going on with the leases, with the with the rentals, with the uh, sales, with any sort of building maintenance. You know, what was the feedback from the people that was living in the building? Because they were he had taken it over as a distressed property at the time. So we were kind of you know just managing the property, and it was an all female office. And he would come in, ask questions, and then he would just be quiet and he would listen. And I was a communications major in school and I had studied the art of uh, persuasion, argumentation, nonverbal communications, journalism. And I remember watching him talk to the ladies in the office and he was so attentive and he was so good at taking notes and listening that when he came back uh, the following week, whatever it was, we had a concern or a suggestion. It was done. It was just done. Everybody in the building loved him. The people that lived in the building loved him. The people that worked in the building loved him. Fred, the doorman loved him. So he was just, he was just a, a great person back then. And I said to my parents, I said, God, I'm going to get his book, The Art of the Deal. And 
I'm going to learn about this guy. And I said, I really hope he runs because I think he has that it factor that could actually make a difference. And so, you know, he ran a few years later, about 20 plus, in fact, and uh, here we are. And you're, you're right. You know, the way he can bring people into a room and negotiate a deal, how personable he is with individuals that he encounters and meets, you know, he makes it about them and how are they doing rather than himself. I mean, those are the stories I've heard. He's a very genuine man, you know, when you, when you're talking to him and when you're around him. Yeah, he really is. He just, um, you know, I, what I find really interesting, and I know a lot of people have talked about this, but the continued persecution of somebody who has selflessly depreciated the value of his portfolio, his children's future inheritance, I might add, right, to try and bring some modicum of decency into a government of, by, and for the people. He told us on January of 2017, he was returning the power back to the people. He was returning the country back to the people. He's talked about the Republic. And what we have lost in the several years of this Joe Biden residency, I call him the pedo on Pennsylvania because that's exactly what he is. He's disgusting. So is his, his son, his whole family. It's gross. They're but horrible. They're horrible. Yeah. So they, he, he brought a modicum of decency. I don't care about his mean tweets. I actually thought they were quite entertaining because it was yeah. exactly what we were all thinking, but right. nobody had the balls to say it. So he did. He said it. So what? It's free speech. Say what you want. You don't have to like it. What were the policies like? Was your life better? Did we have, you know, were you were you more free? Did you have more money in your bank account? Was your stock portfolio doing better? Did we have world peace where we stopped the little dim sum from firing off missiles over over Japan? I mean, what is happening right now would never have happened under the Trump administration. And and he was starting to lasso it all together. And then, of course, they had no choice but to steal the election and they stole it in broad daylight. It was like a public heist, a rape and a mugging all at the same time. And America goes, oh, OK, glad it's not me. Uh, you know what? That's ridiculous. We as a, as a society have failed our founding fathers, Rory. We haven't stood. Uh, we're standing on the shoulders. We're standing on the shoulders of great men and we're spitting on the top of their head while we're doing it because we're not standing up for what they sacrificed so that we could have this great nation. It's, it's just terrible what's happening right now. And, and isn't it sad and pathetic how there are so many voters that, that are turning a blind eye to all this chaos going on in our society? Yeah. All because they're happy about mean tweets being gone. They're, <laughs> they're turning a blind eye to being on the, the, the being literally on the edge of World War III, our economy collapsing. I mean, everything at its all-time worse, but no more mean tweets, at least. I mean, this is how some of these, a lot of these voters in the Democratic Party are viewing the situation. They're like, oh, at least Orange Man Bad is not around anymore. It's called low information voters, Rory. They just, you know, to them, it's about, Getting up in the morning. It doesn't matter. Let's take the people that are it's uber the power wealthy. Right? Of the mainstream media. I mean, look at what they're doing right now. They're back to the Stormy Daniels bullshit. I know. I mean, <laughs> they just can't get enough of this guy. He's been out of office for two years. Well, what? Over two years now. Yeah. And they still continuously on a nightly basis talk about him over and over and over. They I know. Listen. These news stations know he's good for ratings. 
I, well, exactly. And that's what they haul them out for when they need ratings, when they can't have Joe Biden tripping on the stairs of Air Force One for the 15th time. They're going to bring out Stormy Daniels. Let's bring out the prostitute, the whore, the stripper yeah. with the big boobs. And let's put her pay, her face on screen. And let's talk about the fact that, by the way, she had to pay him in the lawsuit. He didn't pay her. He She had to pay him. She lost. She lost. It's just, you know, the the, the, the continual persecution of a guy who literally gave up everything to try and save this country. And guess what? He's still fighting. He's still trying to save the country. But again, I don't think people are listening. I think people have become so desensitized. The news is constantly pushing the fear porn. You got to take another shot. You need to take another shot, 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 shot. But let's not talk about the fact that the Pfizer data is killing people right now. We know how bad the shots are. President Trump brought a vaccine to market and he asked, he asked his team Cash Patel and others to get this warp speed going as quickly as possible so he could reopen the economy. He didn't have any experience in the drug business. He listened to the idiots out there like Fauci and Burks and others who lied to him about the safety and efficacy of this drug. They lied to him about how bad it was going to be if we had millions of people dropping dead from a cold virus. But it, but they, they also lied about the fact that they covered up the fact they took a common cold virus and weaponized it using gain-of-function research, put in HIV and malaria, and then sl splicing in into the bioweapon they injected in five billion arms. A CRISPR technology that changes your DNA and you're not even really human anymore. That's the question, Rory. They covered all that up and lied to the president that if we didn't do this, people were going to die on your watch and they were going to blame you. And in addition to that, they held the economy hostage. So he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice. And, and I want to ask you a few things. I want to talk about that. But first question, do you think he had sex with Stormy Daniels? No. Okay. But ask me if I care. Right. I don't care either. I don't care what somebody does in their Did anybody personal. care that Bill Clinton had, had stains on a blue dress? Did anybody no. care about that? Did anybody care that Bill Clinton lied and was saying things like it depends on what the definition of is is when he was testifying about Monica Lope? Did anybody care? Did anybody double, care that JFK a had affairs? It, it really is a double standard. It's such I mean, a double standard. It's it, a double standard. Do no. you think he had sex with Stormy Daniels or do you care? I, I don't care. I mean, whatever somebody does in their personal life is 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 their business. I mean, I... You know, a, a lot of people, you know, even in our own party think he did, but that's his own business. They're like, what does this have to do with? Is she 15? Is she what? 12? Right. Like exactly. exactly. What men do. Is he you sniffing know? little kids like Joe Biden? And that, and that's the thing that drives me crazy the most is that the left can turn a blind eye to all these videos of Joe Biden fondling little kids. And literally, I mean, this, he's literally molesting these kids. I mean, it's on video. And he's touching the breasts of a, of a, of a married of a married woman. Uh, I think she was married to some um, congressman or some senator. I don't, I don't know. But there was a video that surfaced. I mean, it's crazy. I know. I know. But yet Americans are willing but to say. He's a Democrat, though. So you know what they say. <laughs> What's good for thee? What? No, what he's a Democrat. He gets away with it. You know, there's oh, no. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, of course. Of course he gets away with it. So, but again, this is, you know, but this is unfortunately the. I feel like at this point, Rory, Americans are so desensitized to all this. They just don't care anymore. They just want to be left alone. They're sick of people, mm -hmm. you know, giving them this, these horrible stories night after night after night. It's like, how much more can Americans take? We have got to find the 3% like we had in the Revolutionary War of people who want to stand up and revert back to what this country was. We need to restore what America was before the Civil War, before the 14th Amendment stole our sovereignty. And that's, that is a story that needs to be told. And I'm going to tell it to your audience right now. Did you know the 14th Amendment was 
unconstitutionally ratified in 1868, right after the Civil War. And do you even know what the 14th Amendment means? Explain it to all of us. Okay, the 14th Amendment is your right to become a naturalized U.S. citizen. And it's a privilege, okay? God gives you your rights. God created man, man created government, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the hierarchy, God, man, government. Man stands on the Constitution, the law of the land. Government stands on admiralty law, administrative law, okay, commercial law. Here's the problem. In 1868 and prior, excuse me, up to 1868, we were Americans. We had colonies. Then we were starting to get states and, you know, all this good stuff. We were electing our public servants. In 1868, the Union got together after the Civil War and said, okay, you Southern states and all of you that warred against the Union, if you want to be part of the club, you have got to ratify the 14th Amendment and make everybody a U.S. citizen. And the people in New Jersey and Ohio were like, you know, uh, that's not really a good idea because uh, we're happy being New Jerseyans and Ohioans and being a union, but now you want to make us a collective, nationalized, centralized government. And we're not cool with that. Our model is decentralization. Every state has an executive, a legislative, and a judicial branch, right? That's the 10th Amendment. That's our federalism versus, you know, version of government. U.S. citizen branded everybody in the same jurisdiction. And three years later, Rory, in 1871, the Organic Act of 1871 incorporated the USDC, the United States District of Columbia, became a corporation. So now you as a U.S. citizen are a member of the corporation. That's why mandates, codes, rules, ordinances, statutes end up applying to U.S. citizens because you're part of that corporation. People don't understand that. This is a big deal. We go out and educate people on this stuff all the time. We have the receipts to back it all up. So the point is, we lost our sovereignty a long time ago, and everything they've done since then, Rory, everything from the Federal Reserve Act to the 16th Amendment, the Birth Certificate Act in 1907, it's all part of layering on the corporate construct to create contracts between you and the government in all aspects of your life so they can control you. That's we're what this all, is about. And, and we're all part of the system, and there's mm -hmm. no getting out of it. Yes, there is. I have. I've exited the system. I'm an American state national. I'm not a U.S. citizen anymore. Wait, so what? Explain. <laughs> so an American state national is somebody who has corrected their status and reclaimed their sovereignty and exited the United States Corporation. And it's all done lawfully. It's all done uh, through an affidavit process and notification of all, all uh, informed parties like the president, the vice president, secretary of state, not to mention your own personal state in which you inhabit, like my secretary of state here. Yeah. And uh, through the unrebutted affidavit process, you give them 21 days to deny your petition and your affidavit as to why you are leaving the corporation. And when they don't respond, you file it under a court of record stating that you have now left the United States and then you go get a passport. And, and believe it or not, the United States State Department recognizes two political class of citizens, a U.S. citizen and a state national. And it says it right on your passport. Everybody's passport says it. But my yeah. status is that of an American state national. Do you do you recommend everybody starts doing this? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to defund the swamp. They have look at what they've done by putting us in their jurisdiction. Let's talk about the Bible for a second. OK, God yeah. gave man dominion over the land, the air and the water. L.A.W. Right. Absolutely. OK, so we believe that we know our Constitution and our Declaration has a lot of references to the creator for, in fact. Right. So understanding that land is the common law, air is ecclesiastical and trust law, water is admiralty law, law of commerce. 
Land is the is, is where man stands. We stand on the land. Business is conducted on water. Remember ships going back and forth over the ocean originally. That's your admiralty law, your yellow fringe flag. That's why your courts are admiralty courts with the yellow fringe flag. You see President Trump when he's standing out in the law of the land with flags that have no yellow fringe on it, okay? He is recognizing the law of the land versus the law of the courts, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the law of commerce, excuse me. I recommend people do this to assert their freedom, their true freedom, so that you can pull yourself out of the jurisdiction of admiralty law, place yourself squarely on the land, and then you can assert your constitutional rights. U.S. citizens cannot technically assert their constitutional rights because, which is why they get violated all the time. Everybody's complaining, I have no free speech. They're taking my guns and da da da. It's because you don't have them because you're not on the law of the land. You are part of the admiralty court system, the admiralty law system as a U.S. citizen. That's how they've been getting us for a long time. And oh, by the way, in 1871, not only did they incorporate the United States government, that 10 square miles, but they also formed the Bar Association in 1871, British Accredited Register. That's all about control and corporations as well, which is why, you know, we've had zero traction in ever getting anybody hung for, not hung for treason, but prosecuted for treason, et cetera, et cetera. It's because we're in a, we're in a corporate construct world. Everything is about liability protection. You start a business, Rory, you incorporate yourself. People can't sue you. They can sue the company. Well, the company has no assets. They got nothing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you brought up the Bible and, you know, I, I was born and raised Catholic and, you know, I'm, I'm a religious person, you know, I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. And I, and I think if we put biblical principles back into our, back into our society as the founding fathers, you know, wanted all along, you know, that's what they built this country on. I believe a lot of the problems that we're facing go away. I that's think, it. I think when we have that sort of energy and that sort of curriculum and, and that, <laughs> you know, beautiful ideology, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of, uh, cures a lot of cures a lot yeah. of a lot of a lot of madness just disappear it it does i mean think about what's happened with covid right yeah dr zelenko uh amazing man the, the founder of the zelenko freedom foundation for which i chair right and uh, I, I i love that man i got to meet him early on i was the first person to inter ever interview him i was very blessed to know him phenomenal yeah. man phenomenal family his brother frank's a great friend i've met his parents mm -hmm. um i can say this much about dr zelenko uh, he knew that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin worked in early treatment. He also knew zinc was very potent. Zinc, it's everywhere. I take it every day. I take it every day. Same, right? So, I mean, I take all these things. I, I don't take a lot of vitamins. I work out every single day. I run five miles. I lift weights. I stay in very good shape. Great. And, and that's I, why you won't and, and, here's the and here's the thing. I haven't been sick in 20 years. I love natural immunity. That's what, that's what our bodies were built for. And you know what? As long as people exercise, diet well, take vitamins, they never need a vaccine a day in their life. Isn't it, isn't it a slap in the face to God every time a baby's born and the first thing they do is stick a needle in, in that baby's arm? It's, it, it's an admission that God's um, creation in his likeness, in his image, was not perfect to begin with. And I, and I, was, and I was looking at what um, Robert Kennedy Jr. was saying about the autism. <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. Huge. I mean, yeah, it went from one and eight. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, in, in the last 20 to 30 years, the numbers have skyrocketed. 
Yep, they have. And it's it's because all of the adjuvants that are layered into the, the are layered into the children as they inject more and more and more. They've never done a study. They've never done a study to see what the long-term effects of layering aluminum in a child every time he gets another injection. And now they're up to 72 injections on the vaccine schedule. Are you kidding me? Right. Dale Bigtree did this amazing video, uh, Rory. It was he took a big bag of rice and he threw it on the studio table. He goes, this is two trillion viruses that surround you all the time. You're always around two trillion viruses. He picks one grain up, colors it red, throws it back in the pile. He goes, that's COVID. And then he picks up a few more, goes, 17 of them have been identified for vaccines. Why 17? Because one in a hundred thousand or one in a million people get sick with this. So we're going to treat everybody for that one person. He goes, isn't that a little backwards? I'm like, hell yeah, it's backwards. We don't do that. We shouldn't do that. But we were brought up and programmed, programmed to believe that you need to do this, that nobody ever questioned why it was just on the paperwork. The school said your kid has to have this shot by this grade and da, 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 da. It's all programming. It's MK Ultra. It's a lie. It's all a lie. I, I mean, I've, I'm treating so many things myself with all natural remedies, and they work beautifully. Yeah, same. Me too. Me too. And I'll and I'll tell you, um, all these vaccines create all these health problems. That's right. And then what does that do? That makes the pharmaceuticals industry more money. It makes doctors more money. It makes the health industry more money because these people have to keep going to doctors and getting medications to, you know, um, to treat these diseases that they're, that they're getting from these that's shots. That's it. I remember when I was a kid, it was I was, it's, it's a horrible, disgusting industry. It's gross. It's just gross. It's criminal. And even Reagan, the 1986 childhood vaccine injury act to protect the manufacturers from any liability that, oh, yeah, that yeah, the, uh, are you talking about vaccine where they they're exempt basically from any sort of liability lawsuits, <laughs> right. all of that. Yep. yep and Congress put that into place, right? Yep. That, but that was under the Reagan presidency. He signed it into law. He signed it. So it protects the vaccine manufacturers, the pharmaceutical industry, in other words, from ever being sued for adverse events of these shots. You know, um, I recall when I was a kid, I had nosebleeds, chronic nosebleeds. I was anemic all the time. And I had every twice a year, I get really bad case of bronchitis, like really bad. And that was all vaccine injury. It was all vaccine injury. I'm convinced of that today. hundred percent. Now there is a really interesting case. Have you heard about this case in Switzerland with Pascal Najati? I have not. Oh my God. This is fabulous. So he contacted me uh, through my dear friend, Todd Callender, who's an attorney. He's got Todd is a, he's a, He's a lawyer who's, he's the, he's the reason the mandates have been pulled down in the United States military, the vaccine mandates. It's all the work he's done. Mm -hmm. Todd has done all this work for free. I've watched him argue an amazing case in the 10th circuit in Denver. I flew out there because I'm like, Todd, I want to see you do this. This is cool. So I met him in Denver back in November to listen to him argue in front of uh, three judges on a bench. And he, the case was Roberts v. Austin, the secretary of defense. And it was about a couple of folks in military who didn't want to take the shot. They weren't getting the religious exemption approved. And his points in the argument were twofold. One, um, are you even still human after your DNA has been rearranged by these shots? Are you still human? This is the question he asked the bench. And two, are you chattel? Are you property of the vaccine holder? Because Myriad Genetics um, is a company that in a nine to zero complete Supreme Court shutout ruling argued and, and wrote an opinion that if your DNA is changed and it's man-made, you are now chattel to whoever scrambled your DNA. 
So these people who've all taken the shot have had their DNA changed. Jesus. So are they human and are, are they, and are they property of the people's whose shot they took? Are they property of Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and John, whoever, AstraZeneca? The, the opinion has not been released from the court yet. They're still deliberating this. How? That's huge. That's back in November. It is now March. That's big. How much do you buy into the whole shedding, <laughs> the shedding theory and the, you know, skin-on-skin uh, skin contact with somebody that was vaccinated or having sex with somebody that was vaccinated unprotected. Unprotected. Uh, 100%, what? Roy. Uh, the people who are vaccinated are shedding this stuff on us and they're walking bioweapons themselves. I don't even call it. It's not a vaccine. It's isn't a bioweapon. It like, but isn't there like, they, like a certain amount of days after they get the booster, they're contagious. And then after that, it, it's out of the, like, isn't there like it, a nine? It, it, it absolutely, it drops off. And I can tell you, um, in terms I, of like it being, you know, infection, infectious to other people that well, aren't. I don't know that that's fully understood yet. And here's why, because from what, from my understanding of what goes on with the manufacturing of the spike proteins in people, once they get that vaccine that I'm going to call it's not a vaccine. It's that once I'm calling it a bioweapon, right. once that bioweapon is vaccine like seven to 10 years to, to actually build and manufacture you right. know, this is not a vaccine. You're right. No. So once they get that, and let, let's not, let's not, let's not also forget that the, a vaccine, you know, properly treats, you know, the, the problem, all this did was add on to the problem. And most people that got the shot got COVID. That's a hundred percent. And again and again, but uh, keep going. I talked to somebody who uh, I was a guest on their show the other day. Not only had they had three rounds of COVID, they had three injections and then they had a heart attack and almost died and had to have his tent put in. And I, I just looked at him and I just remember going like this. And when he said he'd had COVID three times, I said, did you get the inject? Did you get the shots? And he said, yeah. I go, how many? He goes three. I go, so let me guess you got COVID right after the shot. He was like, yeah. And he goes, and then I had a heart attack and had to have a stent. And I just said, I said, I'm so sorry, but you are a classic. I said, you're lucky to be alive. And I gave him the protocol of what to take. I'm like, you need to take a whole, this, this, and this, and this detox, that stuff, you know, get on baby ass. You know, I was giving him the whole regimen and, um, yeah, not good. So what, here's what we also know. It's now coming out in the studies that the majority of the people who are getting COVID are vaccinated and the ones that are dying and majority speaking are vaccinated three and four times. So keep getting your booster. You're just going to basically hasten your death is the point. And the fact that the government, when you travel around our great country and you listen to television where government is still advertising to take shots like Colorado, they run an ad for a shot every other commercial. It's crazy. It's crazy what they're doing. They're genociding people all over the place. I'm protesting. Uh, I'm doing a press conference on Monday right here in Venice, Florida about Sarasota Memorial Hospital, who has got the liability shield for the remdesivir and uh, what we call the COVID protocol, COVID death protocol for remdesivir and ventilators. So they're still putting people on remdesivir and ventilators at Sarasota Memorial Hospital today. And what do we know about remdesivir? 53% of the people in the Ebola trials on it died. died. And we know that it's killing people's kidneys. So kidneys aren't functioning. So water fills up, your lungs fill up. It's not pneumonia. It's fluid in your body that can't be flushed because your kidneys shut down. And then they put a ventilator in there and blow bubbles in your, in your, in your lungs. And then you die a horrible death. You drown. So, I mean, like, where's DeSantis? He knows this. Why hasn't he negated that law? Why hasn't he stopped it, Rory? So I have a bone to pick with him on all this stuff. 
Yeah, well, yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree. And explain more about the whole DeSantis thing. What's he? What elaborate on that a little bit? So essentially, you know, Ron DeSantis is going to run for president. It's gotten to be very clear. He hasn't yeah. formally announced, but it's pretty obvious what he's doing. Um, and he's making all the right noise. So, you know, some great people I know uh, drafted language and circulated two bills, one in the House, one in the Senate down here in Florida, HB 305 and SB 222. And essentially it's a don't ask, don't tell about vaccination status, masks, et cetera. No more can they ever infringe on our civil rights, make us wear masks, make us take shots. And they can't ask us if we've had any vaccine, not just COVID, none of them. We, they can't, they can't ask. So that's a great, I think that's a great piece of legislation, but you know what? Let's stop the killing. Let's stop the killing. We've got people who are being tested positive for COVID. They're going into the Sarasota Memorial Hospital and hospitals all over the country, mind you. It's not just here. And they're being hooked up to the CDC Fauci death protocol because it's extremely lucrative for these hospitals to put people on remdesivir and ventilators. A ventilator payment's $39,000 for one yeah. patient. It's unbelievable. And we all know we all know what happens when somebody goes on a ventilator. Usually, they're not they're not waking back up. It's over. It's it's over. And they put them on midazolam, which is the you know that's the uh, aid that helps relax you and put you to sleep. Uh, they use that in hospice care, but typically in that situation, a hospice patient is somebody who is literally going to die. They have cancer or some other horrible disease, and it's a peaceful way to let them transition. This isn't peaceful. If you'd just given that patient ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and a vitamin C drip, they'd be out of the hospital in a day. But these, no. hosp these hospitals are the worst kind of serial killers we, we could ever think of. These That's hospitals. Right. That's right. Well, the modern day killing killers. They're the modern day killing ovens right now. This is worse than this is worse than Hitler in World War II. Goebbels is smiling wherever he is right now. He is thrilled that we're able to mag you know, get this up to this level because they've genocided millions of people. Two million, two million people in the U.S. have been attributed to COVID deaths. And and do you see them pulling this crap again? Whether it's climate lockdowns, whether oh. it's another virus outbreak. I mean, whatever they want to use as an excuse, because they saw that it worked for seventy percent of our country complied, thirty percent opposed. So the majority they saw it, it the brainwashing, mm. you know, had an effect on. Make no bones about it. The WHO has already got the next pandemic ready to roll, probably Marburg virus, which is a hemorrhagic fever in which you bleed from your eyes, your nose, all of your orifices. But here's the thing. Marburg has only been, I think it's 160 cases ever diagnosed in everywhere in the world. It's extremely rare, very hard to get. But it's the one that if you see it, it's terrifying looking, people bleeding from their eyes. Think about it, right? What kind of press pandemic can you get and fear porn can you launch? So the WHO um, being as conniving as they are <clears throat> and Joe Biden being what he is, went ahead and under the National Defense Authorization Act back in December of last year, 2022, just a few short months ago, he signed what's called the act within that act that basically said Congress will comply with whatever the WHO says. So if the WHO says, hey, we see a pandemic coming, Rory looks a little sick, he might have infected his family and his family infected his community, 
We're going to send the squad out there and see what's going on. And we're going to put you in quarantine and we're going to hook you up to these medications. We're going to make you take shots. This is what it's all about. That's what this whole WHO international health regulations amendments that they're having every country submit is about, as well as the pandemic treaty is about. But they can't really use the word treaty because it would require two thirds of the Senate here to ratify it. So they're just calling it an agreement which means zero ratification. And Joe Biden has already said Congress will comply. So essentially, Joe Biden has already sold us to the wolves. And we're just sitting here waiting for when they send in the stormtroopers to put needles in our arms. That's when you're going to see things get crazy here. And this all kind of ties into what the World Economic Forum has in place, the social credit score system, the surveillance everywhere you go, the Mm -hmm. facial recognition. I mean, we can go on and on here. Mm -hmm. It's all about it. And it, it comes all the digital currency is another thing. Sorry. The digital currency is another thing. Oh yeah. It's all tied together. Well, the central bank digital currency is, uh, is, is definitely related to the um, environmental social governance ESG or the social credit score for people like you and me, our ESG, our, our uh, CBDC, our central bank digital currency, if we so choose to ever get some of that and not just, you know, start trading amongst ourselves, finding our like-minded pods of people. Right. Um, but if we are rele- relegated to using CBDC, I doubt mine will wor- even a work period. Right. They'd rather see me starve or B, if it does work, I'll probably only have a jurisdiction of about five square miles around my house where I'll be able to buy gas and food stuff. They won't let me use that CBDC much further than that because they don't want me traveling. They had me on a DHS watch list for 18 months. So when I flew on a plane, I had to get to the airport three hours early. I couldn't get my ticket on my phone. I had to check in at the counter sit there for an hour while she called Washington DC Homeland Security essentially got me cleared. I ha- I was handed a paper ticket with four S's on the bottom of my ticket. It looked like a Nazi symbol. I'm not kidding. And then I was escorted to TSA where they opened a private lane, basically took me to second base every time I went through, felt me up, went through all my stuff. The and fuck? then when I got to the gate, TSA, there's about 10 of them at the gate. Before I boarded the plane, they did the same thing to me, pat down, go through my luggage. Changing planes at the next airport, TSA, pat down, go through my luggage. And then the same thing on the return. This was how they tried to slow me down. I traveled every week, three, four, five, six flights a week, just like that, Roy, for 18 months. But guess what? When I became a state national, it stopped. They couldn't touch me anymore because I'm not a U.S. citizen. What's the difference between um, being on the no-fly list and the DHS watch list? I know there's a bit, obviously, a difference, but explain kind of the sure. similarities. It sounds somewhat similar. Yeah. So, um, not being able to fly is a pretty self-explanatory. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 What they were doing to me was they were trying to intimidate me. And there's been several times I was pulled off planes and or missed flights. Because so would they- you say like like? Right before they put you on the no-fly list, what you were on is like the the thing that's right above the no-fly list. Yes. Okay. So yeah. you're pretty you're pretty much there at that. Point. You're almost. Oh yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was it, and it was really just to harass me. It, it yeah. was truly just to harass me as much as possible. The interesting thing was this all happened during COVID, and so because I was so outspoken, I was traveling and I was protesting and doing all this stuff. I actually had TSA people that knew me in different airports and be like, Hey, they'd come and they'd whisper in my ear, really like what you're doing. Keep going. Don't just, just don't stop. You know, I didn't take the shot or I took the shot. What can I do to detox? I mean, these people were scared because they were afraid for their jobs. They took the shot. Right. And then they're like, Oh my God, what have I done? Right. I hear that all the time. 
Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've tried, they've tried to do all this stuff to me, but it, you know, and I've had people say crazy things. I've had people say I've stolen money and done all kinds of crazy stuff. It's like, please, I'm an open book. Ask me anything. I run a public charity. Our information's public. Go ahead, make claims, but you're going to look foolish if you do it. You're going to look really foolish if you do it. And so, I, and I want, I want to, I want to ask you, cause I know I have a only a couple more minutes with you. I have a few more questions and I love talking to you and I want to get you back here. Um, in regards to family members we have that have had the shot and have had all those boosters, I'm very concerned for my family members. Uh, it's caused a little bit of a divide. Um, yeah. And you I'm know sorry. what? You know what the crazy part is? My family votes Republican, but there's a, there's a lot of Republicans that got the shot. Sadly, yeah. I'm not going to say a, I'm not going to say a, I won't say a lot, but there's a good amount of Republicans that did get it. I don't think, you know, I think obviously more Democrats got it, but what do we need to, what, what, I mean, I'm sure you have family members that got it. Um, how do we deal with this? I mean, what, what do we do? Well, first of all, I don't criticize them anymore. I, I, really I don't, didn't criticize, criticize, I don't no, criticize them. I'm criticize. just concerned. I'm scared. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm really here's the worried. thing. I, I just tend to um, somehow let people know that there is things, if you're concerned about your immune system, here's what you should be taking. And a lot of the things that they- No, I know that, but what about the people that have already gotten the shots? That's what I'm saying. No, so I talk about how you can increase your effectiveness of your immune system, even with having the shot. And what I'm telling them is things like zinc, vitamin D, quercetin, NAC, activated charcoal, which helps you know pull all the the, uh, the, the detox, detox the heavy metals, attract and suck it out. Um, bromelain for infl inflammation. I sort of give them a detox protocol, IF200, which is three amino acids that when your body in absorbs these amino acids, it causes your body to make its own intracellular glutathione, which increases your T cell count, which of course is primo for your, for your immune system. So I sort of give them a really good protocol. This is what I take. I never get sick. I never get sick. And I'm on a plane constantly. I'm around sick people constantly. And you, and you never got vaccinated, did you? Oh my God, no. COVID? Okay. No. So, and I and I I even made the choice months before the vaccine ever came out. I'm like, this is a scam. I'm not falling for big pharma. I'm right. very healthy. I don't <laughs> need that. You know what I mean? Good for you. Good for you. I, That's awesome. I just you know, and here here's the problem. When when you tell the public that they're gonna die if they don't get this shot. Sadly, we have the majority of the population that's naive and gullible and the fear mongering, you know, it, it works. The You know, in the media sponsored by Pfizer, you know, and Moderna every night saying, you know, get your vaccine shots and all these celebrity endorsements and all this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pussycat doll. Uh, Jennifer, is it Jennifer Suda? She, she finally came out. She had a major reaction to the Moderna shot. The second one, like spasms, head, like moving. She was really sick and she's like, this is it. I'm going to die. So she's speaking yeah. out now. And this is what we need. We need more celebrities to speak out because clearly the people that have done the research, they don't listen to us, yeah. but they'll listen to the bobblehead that, you know, yeah. can wear tight pants and, and throw their butt around on stage. That's cool. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes the shiny object to tell people not to take poison, I'm yeah. okay with it. Be the shiny object. I don't care. And and what can you tell us? I know you were in Utah. You 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 went over and took a trip yeah. over there. Tell us about that. So I went over. There was a tragic shooting on May, on March 1st. A young gentleman by the name of Chase Allen. He's an American state national. Uh, he and his mom, Diane Allen, uh, the family, great, beautiful family. 
He was driving in his car. He did not have registered, uh, registered tags on the back of his car. A police officer saw this, came behind him. He and his family were known quantities in this small town of Farmington. His mom had been in uh, traffic court before. And apparently, uh, one time she was in traffic court, she uh, went in with her son and they decided to arrest her son. But according to the documents that they admitted, it was a case of mistaken identity. They thought he was Austin Allen, who had a bunch of warrants out for his arrest. But he's Chase Allen instead. So they made a false arrest. Um, they kidnapped him, threw him on the floor, did all the stuff. So she's suing the chief of police from Farmington. Uh, and is in court and apparently was doing well in court. So the fact that her son got pulled over driving around in his car without tags on or some other tag, um, <coughs> a police officer pulled him over. And when he pulled up to the car, he wanted to talk to Chase and Chase just cracked the window and was refusing to answer questions. Didn't want to give him his ID because he said, if you take my ID, which is my passport, you accept trusteeship and surety for the debt in which you are trying to make me occur. So in other words, when somebody writes you a ticket, that's going to cost you money. That's a debt. You're going to go to the court, which is the bank, and you'll pay the court, a.k.a. the bank, your debt. So this is, uh, they went back and forth. And this kid, very bright, educated this officer on the state law, the, the municipal code, the federal code, all this stuff. And the officer really didn't want to hear about it. He just wanted to write the ticket and he wanted to get Chase to identify himself. So when he finally got the passport from Chase, um, they decided to break open the car. He called for backup and Chase had a gun on his holster, supposedly in his holster. And they yelled gun, gun, gun and started shooting. And Chase never fired a shot. He was killed by, by a hellfire of bullets by five police officers that shot at him. So they drug him out of the car, handcuffed him, even though he was already gone. And, uh, you know, the parents are just devastated. The whole community is devastated because, again, I, I think that was a, a, a I personally think there was problems on both sides of that. I said, you know, Chase should have done some things a little bit differently, like don't try and adjudicate a traffic stop on the side of the road. Go to court, get your ticket, deal with it in administrative court, make your case. And his case is sound. You're allowed to do what he did. In fact, right here. I'm sitting on about a hundred and some pages of 400 examples of Supreme court case law that says you have the right to travel and you don't need a motor vehicle license. It's Supreme court settled law, res judicata settled law. Right. And, um, Chase was trying to educate this officer officer. Couldn't understand it. Cause guess what? Cops don't know the law. They just know the policies they're enforcing. That's it. They don't know the law of the land. And so instead of just dealing with the law of the land in the court, he tried to deal with it there. It got heated. They opened the, they ripped open the door and the guns, bullets went flying and the kid's dead now. Tragically shot and killed. It didn't have to happen. So Jeez. yeah, terrible, 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 terrible story. But I'll tell you what, the city of Farmington was gracious. They met with us. We had a great conversation about an hour and a half. We talked about a lot of the stuff and they've actually asked us to come back, believe it or not. They want us to come back. So we're going to give them a briefing. We'll go back. Wow. Yeah. Well, and how, how often are you traveling and, and do, you know, <laughs> speaking and. Oh, know. I just, I was in uh where was I last night? I was uh, not last night, night before last I was in um, Stewart and uh, next week I'll be in Vero. And before then I was, I don't even remember. I'm somewhere pretty much what, two or three times a month, somewhere speaking, doing something. So you're running the entire foundation, the Zelenko foundation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Got a I mean, good team. 
What is the, what do those hours look like? 14, 16 hour days? <laughs> easily, easily. I got to get up in the morning. I do two live shows. And so I get up in the morning, get all the show notes prepared. All I do all my own graphics. I do all my own, everything for that. Send them to the studio. One is the Zelenko report. Another one's right now. It's an evening show. And uh, between that and doing the foundation business meeting with um, donors, that kind of stuff, speaking on behalf of the foundation, like I was night before last, like I will be next week. It's just, yeah, it's just nonstop. But again, Rory, this is it right now. Like this is for all the marbles, man. We have got to keep our foot on the gas because we are in at least a six year war, as far as I can tell, with the information war, the fifth generation war. Uh, and we have a war to restore the Republic in progress right now. And if we don't keep our foot on the gas, then we're no different than the people that just took the shot and didn't do their homework. And Anne, I want to ask you your thoughts on Operation Warp Speed. Do, do you think there were a lot of, I mean, a lot of people have issues with it. There, you know, there were, Yeah, I do and, too. It was a military operation. And don't, military don't, you, operation. don't you agree that the biggest people to blame were the bad influences that Trump had around him in his cabinet? One, without a doubt. And I've, I've, always, I've always said, Anne, Trump's biggest weakness is I believe he trusts people too easily and then they backstab him. And he, of and, he, and he, I think he needs to be way more careful about who he hires, who he brings aboard. And I think in a lot of ways, he's learned his lesson from the first time around on who screwed him. And, you know, and yeah. I, so what your thoughts though? Oh, I agree. I think he has learned his lesson. You know, he's still got people around him, sadly, that are still trying to mislead him. Um, and I think he needs to, if he's going to succeed in this next election, if he really is going to succeed, he needs to take a page out of what Ronald Reagan did. And I'm not talking about the Vaccine Act. I'm talking about Ronald Reagan had to make an apology at one point to America. And I think Trump needs to say, you know what? Fauci lied to me. Burks lied to me. They all lied to me. And I mean, you know, he is expected to be able to glean key information from experts in their field, right? He's not a scientist. He was challenged with something that he had absolutely no control over, zero control. And he was thinking, how can I protect the people and keep the economy open? How can I do this? Because shutting down the economy, lockdowns, all that had very bad impacts on people's health. Look how many suicides there were, even in the kids. There was yeah. young kids that killed themselves, eight-year-olds, hung themselves. They were locked down. That was horrible. He didn't want that to happen. So look, we get cold and flus every year. It happens, right? But we did not need to do what we needed to do, which is why he wanted whatever it would take to reopen the economy. He was like, I'll do it. I'll do did, it. Did you see his interview a couple weeks ago where he said that the vaccines have saved a hundred million lives? Did you did. see that? I did. What are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I love the guy. I just, I think these are stupid remarks. I mean, and it's really rubbing the base the wrong way. I just, I wish, it is. I don't it, know it, who, is somebody telling him to say that? I mean, I don't know. Lori, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know where he's getting this information from. But it's it's all over social media, just how horrible these vaccines are. It's everywhere. Yeah. So how does he not know that? Yeah. How does he not know that? That's a great question. I don't know. What do you what do you think of the Florida um, Surgeon General coming out and saying Strong. that these Moderna good. vaccines are no good? I played that clip in my show tonight. Absolutely, a hundred percent. We needed to hear more of that. And don't yeah. you th don't you think that Ron DeSantis did perfect with appointing that guy? 
oh God, he's the greatest surgeon general. I mean, he has saved more lives in this state than I would say most. But I also think that, you know, the surgeon general ain't stupid. He's looking at a, at a national level job. If Ron DeSantis goes to the White House, if I was Ron DeSantis, I'd be bringing that surgeon general with me to the White House. I mean, why not? You know, the guy's done a great job. Um, but I also think it's, you know, it's for saving lives. But if they really want to save lives, then stop the carnage in the hospitals and tell people frontline defense is Zelenko protocol, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin and zinc. Boom, done. Over, over, over. Or ivermectin, it's over. Quercetin, it's over. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Governor DeSantis the first governor to say that he's going to open up investigations into these vaccine companies? I mean, it, yes. so I am correct on that. So he is the first governor to come out and take a stance on this and say, we need to hold these people accountable. Yeah, he is. I mean, like like Pascal Najati, the Swiss guy and the guy in Switzerland, right? This guy's brilliant. He's uh, put a two, he has two cases. One, he opened, he went with the, uh, uh, a case against the president of Switzerland, who was the former minister of health, Alain mm -hmm. Berset. He's now filed charges against Alain Berset, uh, not only in Switzerland, that has the attorney general of Switzerland taking this very seriously over his handling of the, of the vaccine protocols and all that stuff. But now he's filed a similar case in the state Supreme Court in New York State against Alain Berset, the um, top level people at Pfizer, including Borla and a few others. And that case has been taken up. And now there's a temporary restraining order placed on the president of Switzerland, Alain Berset. He is not allowed to come to the United States. If he does, he will be arrested on the spot. And I wanted to also mention, to you, <coughs> did, you, did you see the CEO of Pfizer come out this past week and say, and say that he has a vaccine for cancer? I and, and you know what else is, is very troubling and disturbing? They want to mix the flu shot with, with the COVID shot every year. Yep. I mean, this is disgusting, Ann. I know. It's gross. It's gross. Uh, Fauci was on CNN yesterday saying exactly that. Oh, I think you're going to need to get it every year with your flu shot. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on. I, and, I just can't believe people are this dumb. It's like, wake up. Wake yeah. up. It's crazy. I mean, what... And what, what do you think is going to happen in the long run with the pharmaceutical industry? I mean, do you think anything will ever happen with people being held accountable, people being locked up? We've already not, seen the massive lawsuits. We've already seen that. But I'm talking about the current, not with the current, Not with the current government setup. We have a corporate government and corporations protect corporations. We will never see adjudication. We will never see any sort of... Um, we just won't get what we're looking for with the current setup. We have got to repair this entire system. We've got to go back prior to the 14th Amendment. We can't have liability shields for people in Congress because they work for a corporation. We can't do it. They'll never get charged with treason. House Joint Resolution 192, HJR 192, passed in 1933. Okay. The reason they did that is because they wanted to protect everybody from ever being charged with crimes of treason because that was the same year they stole the gold. What Remember do you that? Yeah, yeah. And what do you think about the testimonies in the last couple of weeks about these Wuhan lab leaks and all this stuff? What do I think about it? And the um, this to hearings and all. Yeah, we, we've been I think it's been great. But if you remember a year, two years ago, people like you and me were getting kicked off social media for even saying this yes. was the Wuhan flu, right? We got right. in trouble for calling it the Wu flu or the or China, China flu or China flu or Kung Fu flu. But, yeah. 
But isn't it interesting? Kung Fu flu. <laughs> Kung Fu flu. That's what Trump called it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kung Pao flu. But anyway, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting, Roy, that um, now you have Ray, the Department of Energy, all these entities in the government saying, oh, yeah, it escaped from a lab in China. Yeah. So why would all of a sudden they come on board with that? Unless, of course, something else going on. And the bigger story is, and we reported on this three years ago, that stuff, while the gain of function research was offshored to China and funded by Fauci and the taxpayer through NIAID and EcoHealth Alliance, it was actually manufactured in Fort Detrick here in the United States. That's the bioweapon I got when I went to COVID, when I went to CPAC in uh, 2020. I got, I got the COVID from CPAC in 2020 and it was deadly, damn near died. It was horrific. Wow. And have you heard about what they're doing in, in a lab in Boston where they have a virus strain that has an 80% kill rate? Did you hear about that? Yep. They have that going on. They're also and Ukraine as well has bio labs. 43 of them. Yeah. Why do you think Putin's so pissed off? Wouldn't you be pissed if someone was putting bio labs in the street next to you? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sorry. He brought Assad and Erdogan uh, and the Chinese together for a meeting in the Kremlin the other right. day. Right. Like, I go ahead. Assad and Erdogan, they brought Syria and Turkey together for a meeting. Hello. I mean, that's like huge. And they're talking yeah. about, you know, how they can work together. He's over there brokering peace because we don't have anybody doing it. We have an idiot, a mushroom in the White House who right. happens to be a pedophile. Oh, absolutely. And, and I tell everybody, and I've been saying this for a long time on my show, the two best world leaders we have at this point are President Xi from China and Vladimir Putin of Russia. Those are the <laughs> two, those are the two most dominant leaders that care about their they, they care about leading their country and being on top of on top of the world. They want to be the best they can be. Yeah. And all these other countries are falling for the most part, a lot of these other countries can't be on their level because they don't have the resources and they're falling for a lot of this socialism crap. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I'll tell you, like, look at, you know, look at, look at some of these countries that, you know, are like just taking after the U.S. I mean, you've got, you've got Canada, you've got, you know, even England that are doing these this wokeness, this, this nonsense, you know, it's, yeah. it's destroying things. It's destroying things is right. But again, until people rise up and just say no and stop paying to be taken to the slaughter until that doesn't, until that happens, it's, you know, history is going to be doomed to repeat itself, Rory. And I don't know, you know, that as you know, if you read the Bible, not everybody gets to go. So these people, whether they are religious or not, have made a choice. The atheists, have decided that natural selection shall shall rule supreme, right? Natural selection. You made a bad choice. You self-selected yourself out of the equation. Christians who took the shot didn't believe in God. They didn't believe that God's immune system was perfect. They made a conscious choice. That's okay. But now if you recognize you made a mistake, let's take some steps to correct it so that you don't, you know, so that you get to go as well. And and, and let, let me ask you this in regards to Fauci. Do you think he's going to be in the limelight for a while? God, I hope not. I can't stand listening to that guy. Honestly, I can't stand it. I can't. I, yeah, I think he'll be in the limelight eventually because they're going to make somebody a scapegoat and it better damn well be him. You think when Trump comes back, he disappears? 
I don't know when you say disappears, like as in he's just not in the limelight or he just. Well, just kind of he, he, you fades, know, away. he fades away from the camera. Yeah, I mean, limit limits himself from the camera. Like, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I that's a great question. I don't know. His, his only defense he has is a strong offense. He needs to constantly tell people it's danger, danger, danger. I'm trying to save your life. You know what I mean? He needs to. They're going to have a really they're going to have one hell of a media campaign to make sure that his information stays above the actual evidence that's come out about these shots. And he's going to use the mainstream media to make sure his story is the narrative you hear and not the evidence that's come out. And and you know what's the most mind blowing and sickening thing of all time is how a lot of these elected officials and a lot of these people involved in politics eventually go to these pharmaceutical companies. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, we ha- how do we put a stop to that? Have you ever looked into this? Uh, how do we put a stop to that? First of all, we need to shut down all the agencies. Absolutely lock, shut them all down, lock, stock, and barrel. Shut them all down. If we don't do that, Rory, uh, we will be forever beholden to the unelected bureaucrat who has nothing but the incentive of the big money in his pocket and using and weaponizing the federal government so that they can stay protected. It's it's all about the for-profit corporations. Every single one of these agencies is a for-profit corporation. They all have done in Bradstreet numbers, including the U.S. government. They all are they are all in it for the money. They're not in it for you and me. But listen, man, I've got another interview. I've yeah, got to get to. I know. I know. And some of the projects you have coming up that you're directing your. Yeah, so on Monday, we've got a press conference here in Venice, Florida, and then we're going to the Sarasota Memorial Hospital's board meeting for public comment. Uh, We will be leveling uh, the truth on these people. We're going to go in there armed with statistics, and we're going to demand that they do an investigation, but more importantly, they stop the killing with Remdesivir. they got to stop. They have to stop. So that's that's our immediate mission right now. Get the hospitals to stop killing people with Remdesivir. It's that simple. And look at all the look at all the heart issues that are occurring. I look know. at all the brain problems that are occurring. I mean, people are having health problems for the first time ever after getting these shots. I know. And I then know. you know what you know what the, the the worst problem is when they go to the doctor. Most doctors refuse to tell them it's because of the shot. I know. And, and, and is that because of the doctors being compromised, do you think? Of course, they're all on the payroll, you know? And the sad thing is when the indemnity run, runs out for the hospital, the doctors are going to be the ones that made the decisions. Who do you think is going to be the scapegoat next? And and last thing, don't you think a, another reason for a lot of these issues and a lot of the just devastation going on and just ridiculousness is because medicine has become so political. Of course. Yeah. Of course. We've gotten away from the whole idea of real medicine, naturopathic and holistic medicine. It's, it's all weaponized. It's all political. That's, I mean, all these, absolutely. All the regulations and stuff is politicized. All of it has to stop. It's, it's, it's based off opinions. It's not even facts anymore. Exactly. Okay. And, and, and I love having you here. We got to get you back. Tell everybody where they can find you and connect. Absolutely. You know what? Find me on social media at Ann Vandersteel, Twitter, uh, on Instagram, on uh, Truth Social, Getter, Cloud Hub, at Ann Vandersteel. That's the best place to find me. And do you have any books out? Do you? No, I haven't put a book out, but I, I actually have one in my brain and I'm mulling it over if I want to yeah. embark on that. I'm just so busy. That takes time. You got to sit down and like work on that. I, I don't have time for that right now. And, and I have <laughs> to ask you one more thing. Have you paid attention to any of the January 6th situation going of course. on? It's all, it's all crap. You think we'll get justice on that? If we get Trump back in office, yes. But if if not, do you, how long do you see those people suffering for? They're prisoners of war. 
It's a great question. It's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. crazy. Anne, thank you so much. We Lori, will talk very you. soon. God yep. bless you. Keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. Thank you. We'll be right back, everybody. Coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. This is Rory Sauter and the news. Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. Court order for asset seizure. So they're taking my car? You went radio silent on me. Is that what this is about? Just last night, and I thought, I missed that fucker. Is that true? Buongiorno. That's my cousin. Gary, I swear to God, he's my cousin. Mm. He's my second cousin. There's something seriously wrong with you. I'm an Uber driver, and I don't have a car. I'm going to lose my house. You think I chose this? Look at this. Need a car, date our son this summer, and bring him out of his shell before college. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal date, is in quotes. It's gotta be a joke, right? No, have you seen these helicopter parents? I'm surprised they're not gonna fuck them themselves. We've just been so worried about our son. He's going to Princeton in the fall. Oh, I've heard of it. You know, we tried everything to bring him out of his shell. He doesn't come out of his room, he doesn't talk to girls, he doesn't drink. So when you say date him, do you mean date him or date him? Yes. Date him. Date him hard. I'll date his brains out. He volunteers at the animal shelter. Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. How about I give you a ride home? Um, this isn't the way to my house. It's a shortcut. You're my hostage. What you got down there? Something for me? <laughs> Why? You tried kidnapping me! You're 19, grow up! This kid is unfuckable. Have a drink together. He'll have a Long Island iced tea. This is the worst iced tea I've ever had. Okay, one thing about me, I'm the baddest alive. Dance parties. Don't know what to do. I just know my mom would have wanted me to save the house. He's probably just nervous. Why don't you loosen him up? We can go skinny dipping. What about sharks? Men here. Jellyfish? Not the season. It's really the lack of lifeguards. Let's get the fuck in here right now. Okay. I'm just a bit of a romantic. He's actually really sweet. The best part about getting older is not giving a fuck what people think. I'm an adult now. I can make my own decisions. That's that's good. You want to savor it. Savor it. Come on, you're getting out of here. You don't belong here. Don't Let's touch me. Get away from her. Stay. Oh, fuck. We should go. I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence, and this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever gonna have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA.
It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down. Our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. You'll motor it. I believe in your son. I believe he's the future. And his story is going to make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. Sorry to interrupt. Are you okay? I need to get out of a toxic relationship. Why don't you start by telling us what brought you here? My boss, he's different. You can't get him out of your head. No. I need your assistance. I'm coming, master! Oh, you feel like he could destroy you with the snap of his fingers. Wouldn't even need to snap. 
Okay. Uh-huh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, what? Renfield. Bringing innocent victims. I want a handful of nuns, a busload of cheerleaders. And I just want a normal life again. But this modern world is a dangerous place. Thank you. You saved my life. Did I watch you cut a guy with a decorative serving platter? It's all in the wrist. Let me explain. My boss gave me this power. In return, I tend to his needs, including care, feeding. You bring in people to eat? You're like the guy that gets the villain's postmates. But if you were to stop focusing on his needs, what would happen? He won't grow to full power. Exactly. He won't grow to full power. What? That's so weird. Why would you phrase it like that? But yes. Hi. Are you here for the meeting? Well, come on. No! No! Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. To most, I am Baracula. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. Now, let's eat! Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or adempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back. Rory Sodder in the news, coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. My next guest joining me now, I'm glad he's with us. First time on Rory Sodder in the news, Todd McNutt. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming, my friend. And uh, your first time on, give us a little bio. Give us a background. Tell us how it all started for you. Well, for one, I want to, I want to say I really enjoyed your last guest. Oh, thank you. That was that was a great interview. Um, I got into this uh, back in 1993. I did a business. We used a computer to uh, find people that were missing, like high school reunions, stuff like that. And it progressed on. I ended up in the middle. People magazine was running background checks on Joy Buttafuoco through my service. And uh, nearly got me in all kinds of legal hot water for that. So 
I closed it down and I started going around teaching people on uh, privacy and how to protect their privacy in an information age, what, what to look for, what to do, how, how corporations are getting away with what they're doing. And then a couple of years ago, we went through the trend, as your previous guest pointed out, where everybody was getting kicked off uh, social media for saying the wrong things. And I came up with the idea for representing me, which uh, is a it's a different type of social media platform. And we're calling it we're we're tagging it as a political media platform Mm -hmm. because it's designed for politicians and candidates, but yet we also have a page in there for PACs, super PACs, uh, organizations with a political voice, uh, political influencers. We could even put your uh, your podcast on there for you. Nice. Um, it's 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 a platform where people can go, and there is absolutely no bias, no polit- no no partisanship. The only two things that someone can't post is uh, anything of vulgarity or obscenity and anything that would be a threat of violence against an organization or a person. Those are the only two things. And there can, are, there, there's no delete button on it. So when you I post can understand, it, you I, cannot, um, I can understand the second part about viol- violence and, and making death threats and stuff like that. But doesn't the first thing you mentioned kind of go against free speech? Like vulgarity, how? How would you say vulgarity? Like... To what extent? Kind of elaborate, because there's different forms of vulgarity. Are you talking about people posting like pornography, or we're we're looking at things with people posting uh, pornography? Um, I think it would kind of fall into both categories, like the picture of the president's severed head that they put out right after uh, Trump was elected. I think that would fall under both categories and get banned and pulled off the site because. We're- it's 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 showing an act of violence and uh, uh, I and the bloodiness of it I think was, was vulgar. What about like provocative memes? Um, as as long I mean as long as it's not pornographic or a threat of violence, you know I mean I I because my my thought is this: if if a liberal uh, Democratic senator wants to get on there in his little pink tutu and tout the benefits of abortion as a means of birth control, let him. If his constituents reelect him, they at least know what he stands for. They didn't blindly reelect this guy. But on the other hand, if a conservative gun-toting first, uh, Second Amendment a uh, uh, senator from Texas wants to come on there with his AR-15 and talk about why we have the right to bear, keep and bear arms, let him. And if his constituents reelect him, that's, that's, they're get, they know what they're getting when you let them do that. Right. Would, would Big Mike uh, Obama tranny memes be okay on, on that platform? <laughs> the, the linebacker, the big linebacker? Uh, I actually saw one of those, uh, you know, again, we, you know, it's, it's one of those things. If you wanted to post that on there, that's fine because okay. your, your, your followers are going to be the ones who are going to decide whether they're going to keep you, right. keep you going on there. So, you know, it's. So, so I'm just, I'm just trying to like, I, I'm, I'm just trying to test the waters, I guess, to see what, <laughs> what is allowed and what's not allowed. So, so, I mean, it sounds to me like. 
you're you're 100 promoting free speech the only yes. thing you guys prohibit and, and don't want on there is anything you know that's related to pornography or inciting violence for the most part exactly because this this site is going to we've already had a couple of school teachers talk to us about it and say this site somewhere they could send their kids to do a report on what a, a bill stands for what a senator or congressman is about yeah. And that so i mean we're opening the site up for all ages so you know we we're, we're trying to be a little more responsible with that and how long did it take you to build this we are about half done with it and it's been in the progress for two years it's launchable now it's working but when i say we're about half done with it we've got a page being built now for world leaders so we're going to expand it and let other countries put their world leaders out there um We've got a we've got the president and all the former presidents on there. We've got all the first ladies, the current one and the, all the previous any of them that are living. We're putting them on there and all the vice presidents. We have all 55 governors and the mayor of D.C. on there. We have all the Senate and all the Congress and representatives. And we're in the process of adding uh, the president's cabinet, the state senators and congressmen. We're going to go down to mayors of the major cities. And then we're going to go to city councils and school uh, school boards. And, and what is the user count so far? How many people? Um, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure because we've, we're having some glitches with that counting. Uh, we've got a couple of hundred thousand people who have been hitting the site, though. We're getting uh, we're getting new people every day. So are you are you guys in the iPhone or uh, Android app store yet? Do you guys have apps? We are. We we have an app, but we are not in the app stores. And the reason for that is the same reason we're on an independent server and uh, we're, we, we were developing it on Amazon Web Services, but we took it off there because Amazon, of course, has a, a, a history of screening people and, right. and deciding what we can and can't post. So we've got it on an independent server. And when you get on the website, or, uh, you, can down, you can click on it and you can go to it on like your browser on your phone. Yeah. And you can click on it and you can download the app. Now, you're going to know it's not just putting the website. When you add it to your home screen, it actually adds it as an app. And you'll know that you're on the app because it's a little different and, and navigating it's a little different. But it's we've tried to make it as simple as possible for people to get around and see what they want to see. Yeah, I, I, build, I build apps for a living. So I've been doing that for about 10 years. So I, I, I've been doing a lot of technology. I, I do a lot of art. Artificial intelligence, virtual reality, blockchain, uh, building apps—I pretty much do everything. Well, then you're you, you're familiar with the Progressive Web App, yeah, and and that's what we went with because we didn't want uh, uh, Google or Apple to be able to shut down our apps. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, I was I was going to ask you. So, how is it laid out? Like, kind of explain the categories. You know, just the. The, the we, we've divided it into three main categories. When you go to the homepage, there's a, uh, uh, a founder's block. There's a place where I've got a place you can click on and go in there and okay. we can post like condolences when the Queen of England dies and things like that. We can we can we can address uh, social issues from our our uh, our platform standpoint. Right. Then below that is the presidents. And that's where you click on the presidents and you can go into all the presidents, first ladies and vice presidents. Yeah. Then if you scroll on down, there's a map of the U.S. You click on that and it goes to a page of all the flags of every state and territory of the U.S. So you can go to those. 
And then if you scroll on down, it has the uh, PACs and organizations, and they're divided into the the, uh, PACs first, then the organizations, and then the political influencers. And at the bottom of all of the categories, the presidents, the senators, the congressmen, the governors, is a place for candidates. So anybody that's going to be running for president, when you go to the president's category, you can scroll to the bottom of the president's category and you can look to see who all the registered and, and, uh, and active candidates are and what they're saying. Wow. And how much daily activity do you have? Right now, we're, we're, we're still we're just getting a lot of onboarding with the senators, congressmen, governors and that. Um, we're, we're just getting them on board. So we're not getting a lot of interaction yet. Um, one of the next steps that we're adding is we're adding a town hall. Right now, the only thing you can do is thumbs up or thumbs down something that someone says or posts. And when they post, they can post a text, a photo, a video, or a document. So they can kind of get get their message out there. And then you can thumbs up or thumbs down to, to agree or disagree with them. But we're adding a town hall button. So each candidate or representative will have a button right next to their profile that you click on that and it goes into a town hall just about them. So there's no clouding. Their timeline stays pure to their message, but you can go in and discuss their timeline in the town hall. Wow. So you launched when? When did you launch again? We actually launched about a week ago. Oh, wow, man. Very cool. And how much did you put a lot of your own money into this? Uh, we put a lot of money into it. Really? I've got a couple of investors and a couple of mine, and I've I've spent two and a half years from concept to now getting it to where it's at, and we figure we're probably about a year away from having all the other things added that we want to add. What what, what made you originally come up with the idea? My parents are actually devout Trumpers, and uh, I, I, I have stepped out of it in the last two years and taken uh, zero opinion. I don't, I don't make any public statements. I don't endorse anybody. Um, I don't discuss how I vote. But I was watching them, and they, they were always like, well, CNN saying this about Trump, CNN saying that about Trump, and they were watching Fox. And every time I was over at their house, I was watching Fox, and I'm like, okay, you do realize that, yes, I agree CNN is taking what Trump says out of context. But Fox is taking what everybody else is saying out of context too. Right. They're it's it's they're both skewed. Right. So and and I said the one thing that uh, discrimination has in common with uh, reverse discrimination, mm-hmm. they're both discrimination. So it doesn't matter whether you're which side you're on, the other side is discriminating against you getting you getting your message out. And I said that's just wrong. It's wrong on every level. So. I went to work on it and started figuring out how to put together something that could do it. Um, I, I got to give kudos to Elon Musk for his effort when he went after Twitter. I mean, that's what he said he wanted to do with Twitter. And I had, uh, I, I wish I could have talked to him because I could have saved him a lot of money on Twitter because a social media platform can never be turned into what we've developed. We developed this from the ground up to be a political media platform. And when you get into it and look at it and see the differences between what we've built and what the other social media platforms that the politicians are currently on, and the statistics everybody's finding for us is saying that there are 174 million people 
who follows uh, politics and social media now. So we're giving those people a place to follow it where it takes all the fog of social media and all the spin of regular media out of it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, you know, you brought up a really good point. You know, when you turn on Fox News and then when you turn on CNN, it's totally the opposite messaging. Like, like it's, it's crazy. It's night and day. Yes. And, and, they, and you know, the, the thing is, I, I've always loved this thing that there's, uh, there's three sides to every story. Right. His side, her side, and the truth. Right. So it's always, there's, there's always Trump's side, Biden's side, and then the truth is somewhere in the middle because we know they both, they both lean it their way. So, you know, and depending on which side you, which one of them you believe in as to which side you're going to take. So I just, I, I, and I, and I think it's everybody's right to take whichever side they want to. I mean, that's politics and that's what America's built on. I just think we need to get the message out there and let people know exactly who they're siding with when they're siding with them. Because I think a lot of people would uh, would think twice about who they voted for if they knew what the people really stood for and what they really represent. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a uniparty. It's a, and I'm tired of the two party system. I think there should be yeah. more. Alter- I think there should be more alternatives. Yes, and we offer that. We've got independent. We've got. I mean, you can. The, the politicians can register on there for any party they want to. I mean, if a communist wants to register, they're welcome to. Socialists. We, we, every, every, in this country, everybody has a right to freedom of speech. Absolutely. And that's the, and beauty, that's what we're that's the beauty about it. You know, you don't have to agree with it. Um, but people have the right to express their opinion and their thoughts. And, you know, I mean, that's just, I, I'm going to use this as a little bit of a spinoff to go back to your other guest again. Yeah. She was talking about the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. And one of my issues with our government today is is with the Homeland Security. Mm. I think they are the closest thing we will ever have to the Gestapo or the KGB. Right. Um, I think they are every other branch in the alphabet soup on steroids. Um, I had my own little run in with them uh, a couple of years ago. I wrote a book. Can I show it? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get into that in a second here. This this is actually a different one. This isn't the one I'm on here for. Okay. This is just a little thin paperback. It's uh, called the Real ID Act, and uh, the byline on it is opposition from the beginning. You know the Real ID Act that they're pushing all the driver's licenses? You know that never got even – it didn't even go to the Senate or Congress. It no. went straight. It went straight from committee – to being a writer on a bill that George W. signed because it was a uh, bill to pay the U.S. military who were overseas. And their families wouldn't have gotten a paycheck if he hadn't signed it. And they tagged this writer on there and gave Homeland Security the Real ID Act. And the the entire thing, I, went, I was in D.C. a couple of years ago after I wrote that little book about it. And I went to Homeland I called Homeland Security first and told them I was in town. And I said, can I meet with somebody? Is there somebody there that would meet with me and go on the record and give me, you know, I said, if you can show me why, where I'm wrong and why this is a benefit, then I'll drop the book and drop the, the whole cause against you. And the guy who was arguing after about 45 minutes, he just said, he goes, Mr. McNutt, and I had never told him my name. Mm-hmm. He said, Mr. McNutt, let me put it to you this way. This is the way it's going to be. Get used to it. And he hung up. So I went out 
left the hotel, got the cab, and I went down to Homeland Security. And I got out of the cab and walked up on the sidewalk. Now, I'm on a public sidewalk in front of the Department of Homeland Security, just in front of their sign. And I, I'm setting up my tripod. All I'm going to do is have their sign in the background and shoot a little video and say, I tried to get in a meeting with them today and they wouldn't do it. In less than a minute, I had two Homeland Police officers standing there telling me, don't turn the camera on, don't turn that camera on, don't turn that camera on. Within two minutes after that, and none of them asked me my name. And all of a sudden, one of them said something, I heard something in his ear, I didn't hear what they said. He he took his shoulder and goes, yeah, we've got him right here. Come, Come down to the main gate. And in just a minute, I turned and looked, and five Homeland Security agents that just said DHS agent on their backs in black shirts and khaki pants were running down the sidewalk, and I was surrounded by seven security officers telling me, if you turn the camera on, we're going to arrest you. Wow. They wouldn't even let me just do I wasn't going to do anything except say, I tried to get a, vi- a meeting with Homeland Security. They wouldn't let me. And they said, go online and download a picture and do it in front of a green screen. You're not doing it here. Jesus, man. And I was I mean, like, this is nuts. And, it, and, and speaking of books, you've written how many books? You've written several, right? I've got two. I've got two online. Uh, Other People's Secrets, uh, which is also the podcast that I'm starting, and uh, the, the Real ID Act which the subtitle on the Real ID Act is opposition from the start, because that's what it was. Nobody wanted it. The Congress right. wouldn't vote it out of committee to even vote on it, to talk about it. And speak, speak of, speak about the, um, and your podcast. We, we, I just started a network uh, a few months ago. We've already had about over 40 shows that have, that have already started. So we'll have, we'll have to talk and we're going to be starting okay. We're going to be starting documentaries in April, and then in the summertime, we're going to be starting independent films in like the six-figure budget oh, wow. range. Budget range, nothing obviously Hollywood level, but enough to make a you know good movies. Um, yeah, make good we're movies. Doing, we're doing a lot of we're doing a lot of different things. I mean, the, the network is doing very well. Um, and but what I, what else? I also want to ask you in regards to these books. You said they wouldn't touch it. Why? Why wouldn't? Any of these people in D.C., you said they were scared to touch these books? No, they were scared to touch the uh, Real ID Act. And nobody wants to take it on. Nobody voted for it. Nobody wants it. Nobody will get rid of it. Nobody knows what to do with it. I told Governor Stitt here in Oklahoma when he was running uh, for for, uh, governor the first time uh, two elections ago, I told him, he said, well, he said our last governor already gave it away. She already signed the papers and accepted the Real ID Act. And I said, no. You can still stop it. He said, how? And I said, offer the citizens a choice. I said, as long as you don't take it away, as long as I can go down to the DMV and get a regular driver's license and refuse to upgrade to to a real ID, they can't enforce it. And he said, well, what are you going to do when they do enforce it? And all of a sudden you can't get on a plane. I said, how are they going to enforce it? I said, let's just run the scenario. Just say a million people go to the airport tomorrow morning and Homeland Security decided they were good. Today's the day we're doing this. Mm-hmm. A million people with a legal, legitimate ID 
They can drive a car. They can bank. They can do anything with this ID. It's fully legitimate. They've got this ID. They go to the uh, airport, and Homeland Security won't let them on a flight with a valid ID and a valid ticket. They're going to turn around and go right back to the airline and say, I want a refund. The airlines are going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars that day. And they are going to turn around and file class action lawsuits out the yin-yang against DHS for pulling the trigger on this and causing them all that, costing them all that money. The other thing is, what are the courts going to do when I show up at the federal courthouse and they, for my jury duty and they won't let me in? And now the judge issues a bench warrant for my arrest for not showing up. And when they arrest me, I go to the media and do a press conference and say, I did show up. I can prove I showed up. They wouldn't let me in the building with my valid Oklahoma driver's license. Jesus. It's not going to work. As long as the states will give the people the choice, they can't enforce this. They can't make it happen. DHS can just, I mean, per, pardon the term, but DHS can wet dream this all they want to. It is never going to happen as long as at least two-thirds of the states will continue to make it an option. They can't enforce it. And how, how much havoc ha- and ha- have they wreaked on your life, um, DHS? <laughs> um. Not necessarily me, but my ex-wife. <laughs> she wasn't real happy with me because uh, uh, one time she took a flight to Oregon. Her father was uh, in hospice, and she took a flight to Oregon. And every time she got off the plane, they did a full, like the previous guest was talking about, they did the full security search on her. And uh, I I was in the military. I was in the Navy. and uh, Yeah. Uh, How long, I knew by the some- way? I was going to ask I, you, how long I did you? A, I did a, I did a six-year enlistment, okay. uh, anti-submarine warfare okay. tech, and uh, the uh, the I was in long enough to make some friends. Nice. So after they did that, she had to go back. She had to come back to Oklahoma, and when she went back to, to Oregon the next time, I went to the airport with her, and I called a friend of mine that was then working at the CIA, and I said, I said, you know what I did in the Navy. And you know what I did at the think tank after I got out of the Navy? He said, yeah. And I said, I don't like to make threats and I don't make idle threats. But I said, if anybody searches my wife past airport security, normal airport security in Tulsa on this next trip to uh, Seattle, I said, I'm going to unload my entire knowledge database to the media. I said, do whatever you need to do. He said, let me off the phone. Nobody touched her. When we got to the airport, she, they walked her through airport security when they got there. They knew who she was. Facial recognition. They already knew who she was. They walked her through the airport. They let me go down to the gate with her and sit with her and have a coffee waiting on her flight and stuff. So, I mean, the, these people know. They know when they're trumped, but they're, they're going to push people as far as they can. Have you, have you ever released this database? Do you, do you still have access to it? Well, it's right here. Oh, <laughs> it's the oh. stuff I was exposed to and know that, gotcha. that we did and that I worked on. So, you know, and, they. Uh, and speaking of submarines, I mean, you have to be a pretty smart guy to be working on stuff like that. I mean, that's a 
a very hard. Actually, it was funny because I was in, uh, I would have said a sub base up in New England. Uh, yeah. A number of years later, I, I drove charter bus after I got out of the Navy. And I was up there on a trip and in Boston. And I met these two sub captains. And I said, hey, I said, let me get my picture taken with you guys. Everybody's back home is going to love this. And I said, and I said, well, were you in? And I said, yeah, I was an I submarine warfare tech. And they both looked at me and go, okay, we don't know how we feel about having our picture taken with a guy that was a sub sinker. Because, see, I wasn't on a sub. I was one of the guys who programmed the computers and worked on the computers that fly around in the P-3 Orions that sink submarines. Wow, dude. How do you you get these sort of skills? I mean, what does it take? What kind of classes? What kind of... What kind of training? What kind of, you know, explain that to the audience. I took the ASVAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, uh, in high school. And I did it just to get out of class for a half a day, <laughs> which I think is why 99% of the people who take the ASVAB take it when they're in high school. But I took it and I got really high scores on it. So they did the full court press recruiting on me for about the next two years. And they finally convinced me to, uh, to join the Navy. And uh, they said, you can do any job in the Navy. And I started looking. Well, I want, of course, every guy that goes in the military wants to fly an airplane, right? Right. And uh, so I said, I said, well, I don't want to go to college. So I'm, I, know, I know the flying is out. And they said, well, actually, if you wanted to fly helicopters, all you have to be is an LDO, which is a limited duty officer. They said, if we get you into something with a LDO status, you qualify for flight training and you could become a helicopter pilot. Right. It's like, okay, let's do it. So we found anti-submarine warfare. And uh, so that's what I went into. So. And, and so, and you've worked on political, you know, I, I have a few more minutes with you and I definitely want to get you back here soon. I love talking to you. Uh, you've worked on some political campaigns uh, in your state in Oklahoma. Yeah, I did some. Uh, I started out I, with uh, we had a thing called CAT, the Citizens Against Turnpikes, because in Oklahoma, we've got a couple of turnpikes. They started with one. And when they did it, they passed the state. They, they passed it by the citizens of the state and the state approved it that they could pay, charge a toll until the highway was paid for. Well, then they decided when that one went right about the time it was paid off, they decided to build another one. That one was from Joplin, from the state lineup by Joplin, Missouri down to Tulsa. They decided to build one from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, and they said, they ran it by the citizens again and said, well, what if we kept the toll on the first one to help pay the second one off faster, and we'll have two tolls, and we'll pay it off in half the time. So the citizens bought it, and they went with it, and then the next time they turned around, they did another one, and they didn't put any stipulations on it. They violated the state constitution and just made it made the uh, the toll, toll the turnpike authority a, a permanent part of the state. And so they did this Citizens Against Turnpikes, and I got involved with the organization. I was actually in the printing business at the time, and I printed all their flyers and T-shirts and hats and, and, and banners. And uh, I got involved with them, and when we got done, I had done so well with the politics because I was in speech and drama in high school and, got, and learned to get was comfortable in public. So I'd do some of the speaking if the speaker couldn't make it. And by the time it was done, the speaker told me, he said, I'm running for state Congress. Would you uh, manage my campaign? He said, you did such a great job with the citizen against turnpikes. And he said, I'd like for you to work with me. And so I said, okay. So 
I helped him get elected to the state Congress, and he did two terms of that. We, I worked with him on both campaigns. Then he did state Senate. And then a few years ago, uh, my uh, my now ex-wife uh, told me, she said, I've got a friend who knows this guy who's running for uh, U.S. Senate. Would you talk to him about you know, consulting on his campaign? And I ended up being his campaign manager. And I told him going into it, I said, we're not going to win this. You know, everybody, everybody in this has a bigger name than you do. But I said, the goal would be to get you name recognition statewide so that when you do want to run for something later, you can run for it and everybody knows who you are. And he said, well, okay, it's worth it. You know, because he said, I want to get involved in politics. And so we did it. And I'm very proud to say that he got 1% of the vote in every county in the state. Wow. So he only got 1%, but it was statewide. So, I mean, we, we did our job and got his name out. So, yeah. And um, before I let you go here, you know, uh, what, what do you want the biggest takeaway from these books to be for the audience? Um, just, yeah. If people will go and look at some of the website things I post, I talk about uh, with your privacy a lot of people believe, I mean, every privacy expert out there will tell you, protect your social security number and you protect your privacy. That is the biggest line of crap in the entire privacy industry. Did you know your social security number is considered public record by the federal government? They only require one organization in the world to protect it, and that's HIPAA. The medical community under HIPAA is required to protect your social security number as an identifier. The credit bureaus, it's all, your, your social security number is what they call above the line, and they can sell it as part of your credit header for $2 to anybody that wants it. When you go online to those uh, $1.99, get, get, get somebody's uh, background information, they're pulling the credit header and selling it to you and for $1.99, and it includes their social security number. It's not. It's public record. It's it's out there. It's it's not there. I use LifeLock, and uh, it's not a paid promotion. I, I use LifeLock. Hey, are you trying to sell something on the show no, right now? <laughs> no, I'm just telling you, though, why I use them and why I endorse them is because they don't try and protect your Social Security number. They monitor it. And the difference being, if, if you went out and used my Social Security number to try and open a bank account or a credit account, they catch it coming through the credit bureaus and they contact me and say, is this you? And I say, no. Then they contact the institution and say, that's not Todd McNutt. That's a bogus social security number. So it's, it's stuff like that, that I try and teach people and give them as a takeaway when I go out and talk, because in, in my, I guess my closing line in my book, I'll, I'll use that for here. It's all about information. Who has it? who can get it and who controls it. And Todd, you know, um, to conclude, um, I, I want to ask you about your new social media platform that you have out there yes. that you, you just released. Um, the, you have a lot of politicians that have profiles. Um, have any, have any of them been active yet on those profiles? Uh, we've got uh, about probably a dozen of them that have contacted us. What we're looking at doing is probably in the next week or 10 days, uh, they're talking to us about getting a, uh, a booking a, a place at the uh, Capitol Hill Club in D.C. and going and me going out there with some staff and some uh, some iPads 
and inviting the entire Senate and Congress down there. And they can like they don't have to come. They can send their their PR staff or whoever posts their social media now can just come down to it. And we'll be there all day one day and uh, get them on, get them set up, show them how to post, what to post, where to post and how to promote it. And what's the long term primary objectives, you know, for this company? You know, what 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 kind of things do you want to see? You know, the vision. I want I want to see it. I want to see five years. What do you want to see? I want to see it spread all the way down to city councils and, and, and school boards. I want to see anybody that's being elected to an office have a voice on this site. So everybody, because the thing is right now, if a congressman from Wyoming calls a press conference, he's lucky if the local newspaper shows up. Right. Nobody else is showing up. None of the alphabet soup in the media is going to bother with him. But yet Governor DeSantos calls a press conference and I mean, everybody shows up and i just think it's wrong i think everybody should have an equal voice if you're if you're representing people in this country you should have an equal voice i hear you man i hear you and you know you talk about surveillance a lot and and what they're trying to do to our society with all the spying tactics it's dangerous stuff man i'll give you one little tip about surveillance i worked for almost a year and a half for a consultant that we sold Sanyo surveillance equipment, Sanyo cameras. Yeah. And we did a convention in Las Vegas and one of the reps from one of the the top brass guys from Sanyo was there and he and I were talking and I said something about it. I said, you know, I said, I said, it's, you know, I, I've always liked the idea of having surveillance cameras on my own home and stuff. And he said, be very careful with that. And I said, why? And he said, they're required we can't sell cameras in the U.S. unless they have a back door the government can access. Right. He said, if we don't put the back door in the electronics and you connect it to the Internet, he said, we can get in trouble if we sold you the camera. And, and you talk about this stuff in your books, don't you? A lot of this. Yes, I do. And I also like to blow a lot of the, the conspiracy theories. Like everybody was worried a couple of years ago about the people putting the RFID chip in their hand. Oh, you can be tracked with that chip. No, you can't. That chip has a 13 centimeter range. So in order to track you with that chip in your hand, I would have to follow you around holding an antenna on a selfie stick and keeping the antenna 13 centimeters from your hand so I could track you. And if I'm tracking you like that, I'm already following you. Why do I need the chip? Have, have you been paying much attention to the World Economic Forum and the whole social credit score system scenario? Yeah, I have. It's, it's getting scary. It's getting downright scary. How do you feel about it? Um, concerned and watchful. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much, in all honesty, I don't know how much we can do about it. Um, the, the big thing I can see that we can do, I, okay, I will take that back. Um, the big thing that we can do is get on a political media platform. Now I'm selling something, my own platform, right? Um, get on a political media platform. Get on somewhere where you can find out what the politicians really believe about this stuff. Get them to talk about it. Get them to put their opinions out. And anybody that's even remotely accepting of it, vote their butt out of office and get rid of them. Because if our country falls in and goes in with all the rest of this, we're, we're doomed. Everybody right now knows that, I mean, th- there are powers out there that are trying to collapse our economy. 
and they want to collapse our economy so they can force us into these kinds of things. I, I've never seen anything like it. Have you in your lifetime? No, no. I'm 61 years old and I've never seen anything like what's going on right now in, in U.S. politics and in world politics. It's insane. What and what do you see happening now? I mean, what do you see going forward? I mean, well, I, again, that's uh, that, that goes back to I have to come back to my website, and that's the reason we did it is because I think the only way we're going to fight it is by clarifying and exposing the people who are involved in it and endorsing it and promoting it and backing it. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to put a platform out there that no one can skew it, no one can fog it. When you put a statement out, if your constituents demand your opinion, you put it out there, it's out there, it's you, it's your voice, it's your face, and you can't delete it. Are you worried about all the other competitors out there that have social media platforms? I mean, it seems like these last couple of years have been nothing but new social media platforms coming to the marketplace. I wanna know your thoughts. Again, they're social media. They're all skewed. If you look, go look at them, they're all designed. If, if you look at my site and then you go look at any of the social media platforms, there's a huge difference when you look at them. They're, they're set up for social media. They're set up for the mass population to, to talk about stuff. And that just clouds everything in the opinions. Ours is set up specifically to give the politicians, representatives, and candidates a platform to express their opinions and then the cloud is all kept on another channel in the town halls you you can't you can't fog the message it's a clear message so no i'm not really worried about any of the competition i i, I don't i honestly don't think we have a competition for the exact type of platform that we built so so you definitely think you have a one-of-a-kind platform something that's never been done before i do I do. And we've had a lot of people looking to, to try and find something similar to us. And people like yourself that have had me on that have said, man, we've looked everywhere and we can't find something that's, that does what you're doing. What, what's the closest thing? If you had to say anything that's remotely close. There is one that was a failed project. It's like represent.me or something. It's over in Europe. I think it failed because it was a Europe based thing that was wanting to do stuff in US politics. Right. But it had they haven't touched it in five years. They built it and, and nobody came. Right. And uh, they and they didn't build it out the way we did. We went ahead, we've got everybody after this last election, every all the current politicians are on ours. All they have to do is start coming and posting on it. Love it. Love it. Well, we'll have you back here soon, my friend. Uh, tell everybody where they, find, where they can find you and get involved. Uh, Representingme.com. And I'm on, uh, uh, I'm on everything. TikTok, uh, <laughs> uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, YouTube, and everything with other people's secrets. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. Um, I really appreciate it, Todd. Um, and Thanks let's again, talk Brad. about your podcast. Let's get your podcast on the network. I, I think you do it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, All let's right, get in touch on that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk soon, man. Keep up the great work and uh, God bless you, man. Cheers. Uh, you everybody, Thank you. Stay with us, everybody. We're coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. Uh, my next guest will be Derek Johnson. Very excited to talk to him. Uh, be right back. 
Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. Court order for asset seizures. So they're taking my car? You went radio silent on me. Is that what this is about? Just last night, and I thought, I missed that fucker. Is that true? Buongiorno. That's my cousin. Gary, I swear to God, he's my cousin. Mm. He's my second cousin. There's something seriously wrong with you. I'm an Uber driver, and I don't have a car. I'm going to lose my house. You think I chose this? Look at this. Need a car, date our son this summer, and bring him out of his shell before college. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal. Date is in quotes. It's gotta be a joke, right? No, have you seen these helicopter parents? I'm surprised they're not gonna fuck them themselves. We've just been so worried about our son. He's going to Princeton in the fall. Oh, I've heard of it. You know, we tried everything to bring him out of his shell. He doesn't come out of his room, he doesn't talk to girls, he doesn't drink. So when you say date him, do you mean date him or date him? Yes. Date him. Date him hard. Okay. I'll date his brains out. He volunteers at the animal shelter. Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. How about I give you a ride home? Um, this isn't the way to my house. It's a shortcut. You're my hostage. What you got down there? Something for me? <laughs> Why? You tried kidnapping me! You're 19, grow up! Kid is unfuckable. Have a drink together. He'll have a Long Island iced tea. This is the worst iced tea I've ever had. Okay, one thing about me, I'm the baddest alive. Dance parties. I don't know what to do. I just know my mom would have wanted me to save the house. He's probably just nervous. Why don't you loosen him up? We can go skinny dipping. What about sharks? Men here. Jellyfish? Not the season. It's really the lack of lifeguards. Just get the fuck in here right now. Okay. I'm just a bit of a romantic. He's actually really sweet. The best part about getting older is not giving a fuck what people think. I'm an adult now. I can make my own decisions. That's that's good. You want to savor it. Savor it. Come on, you're getting out of here. You don't belong here. Don't Let's touch me. Get away from her. Stay. Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> we should go. has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA All-Star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie, yeah. What's the plan? 
we build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Your motor I believe in your son. I believe he's the future. And his story is gonna make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The My Pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, My Pillow 2.0. <gasps> wow, it's so soft and smooth. It's cool to the touch. How did you do that? Well, we took My Pillow's patented bill and combined it with this new technology that we didn't have back then when I invented My Pillow to bring you the best pillow in history, MyPillow 2.0. Just like all of you, I never imagined that MyPillow could get any better. That's why I haven't changed it in nearly 20 years. Then I heard about a revolutionary new technology and I knew I had to bring it to you all. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. The MyPillow 2.0 is cooler and softer than the last MyPillow. It is so comfortable to sleep on at night. I look forward to going to bed and I wake up well rested in the morning. Sleep is all about temperature and height. MyPillow 2.0's patented adjustable fill is gonna give you the exact individual support you need from your head to your bed. And now here's where it gets even better. We've all experienced those temperature-related sleep interruptions where you get too hot, you toss and turn, you flip your pillow over to the cool side. Well, all that's gone with my brand new MyPillow 2.0 cooling fabric that's made with temperature-regulating thread. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence and this family owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever gonna have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. 
And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or adepis for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. Uh, my, next, my next guest is uh, Derek Johnson. I am glad he's joining us. His first time on the program. Derek, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bio, how it all started for you, all that fun stuff. Well, first off, I got to explain what office I'm in because this is not my office. So if someone, uh, I, you know, zooms in and sees Navy back here, I'm not a Navy guy. I'm an Army guy. So uh, okay. I'm at the Florabama. A buddy of mine owns this place, famous place in uh, Alabama. So Florida line. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm just a, just a small town country boy, cowboy, uh, fifth generation farm boy. Uh, and I was born in Alabama and. I've lived in nine states. Um, I'm trying to work on 20, maybe. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, you know, but uh, I uh, have a uh, degree, uh, two degrees. I have my MBA. I went to uh, use my GI Bill from the Army. Uh, but so anyway, I got out of college. I moved to Nashville. I uh, got kind of tired of the, the rigmarole there. Uh, had a calling by God to join the military. I enlisted with a degree. Uh, which means I could have been an officer, but I didn't um, enlisted and I was going to drop my packet later, but I was seriously injured um, and took a early retirement as they call it fully honorably retired out of the army and uh, used my GI bill, got my MBA at Colorado state university um, and then moved back to Nashville briefly 
had two hits in country music, uh, Billboard Top 40s, and then um, I'm uh, on a back road in the middle of nowhere. A buddy of mine gets frustrated. He was reading these documents I'd written just based off my knowledge of laws and orders and military combined, and uh, I'm like, dude, you're watching the, the most biblical, monumental, historical uh, operation on a man, and not even a lot of veterans know what's going on because people just don't read anymore. They don't read what matters. Um, and they try to use titles and all these things to make you feel like they're whatever. So I'm the common guy that don't have a law degree. Um, and he got frustrated. He's a preacher. And he's like, man, I've been trying to show your documents to some guys. He's like in his 60s. He's like, I, I think they're not coming to church uh, because they think I'm a conspiracy theorist. They think I'm crazy. I'm like, dude, this laws and orders is .gov.mil. And so uh, I said, give me five minutes. I'll go up the road and make a video for you. Uh, Cause I, I'm like, I don't have that kind of storage space on my phone to send you a, an hour long video. Um, I pull over in the middle of nowhere. Next thing I know it goes globally viral. Um, next thing you know, my Facebook got deleted. Next thing you know, it amped up. I mean, to millions, uh, people following. I, it's just, uh, and it's still going. And next thing you know, uh, thanks to my, uh, my business manager who's watching. So I give a shout out to, Natalie and Kathy and, and Michelle and, and Siggy, everybody who watches. But uh, next thing you know, I'm sitting down at Trump International uh, with the with the commander in chief. And um, basically, um, you know, it's hard to describe without people thinking you're crazy in a different way. But you just have to give me that. <laughs> you have to give me that little time space to explain from the military side of things how yeah. Donald Trump is actually still legally your president. And you all are watching the most biblical, monumental, historical world operation. Uh, take place um, and they did it so brilliantly and they're doing it brilliantly and um, you know it's all right what I'm saying there's nothing that's like violations but it's all laws and orders and people go reads like I tell people um, so I didn't know how you want to start that out but didn't mean to drop that on you but no that was great man that I I, I love I love uh, your background your bio you know it's it's fantastic I I want to go back to, you know, first, first and foremost, though, I want to thank you for your service. Um, how, how did you get injured? What, what happened, if you don't mind me asking? Well, my back, I mean, and that, a matter of fact, I'm sitting in a chair that's not really supportive of it right now. Uh, I, I hear you, man. I got back issues, too. Obviously, probably not to, to your degree, but I played a lot of sports growing yeah, well, up. I, mean, I got I had some bad back injuries and I was in some car accidents as a passenger, which really fucked up my back. Well, well, no, no, stuff like that. I mean, you know, a, a bat's a bat. You know, I tell people all the time that yeah. military, it, it just gets amplified because people think of military, but um, but back and knees. But my back is just, it. I had to walk on a cane. I had to go to rehab. I had to go to extensive therapy. Um, and then, of course, I, the last doctor's appointment I had, uh, my schedule now, I don't even know how to fit a doctor in, but um, my last right. doctor's appointment, I need hip replaced, shoulder replaced, knee replaced. I need back surgery. Um, and I'm like, uh, that will decommission me for doing anything. You know, it's like some of that stuff would require being bedridden and things of that nature. Some of the back surgeries they said I needed. But we just chose the pain management route right now just to kind of uh, navigate through it and see um, how much I could take of the pain um, and versus because of my age and then you know, the success rates of these surgeries that they, they say I need, that the success still ain't there even with our technology because you're dealing with nerve damage, 
um, nerves, pinched nerves, bulging discs, things of that nature. Um, so, uh, but you know, I deal with that, but I do, I do all right in considering, but you know, it, it gets me after about an hour on my feet, I can collapse things of that nature. You know, that's why we tell people not all wounds are visible, uh, just because I mean, they're not, and no one would know that if you just passed me in street, but, um, I don't stay on my feet longer than an hour if I can help it. Um, and then I can't sit too long. So my, my legs go numb, uh, you know, feet go numb, things of that nature. So it's one of those, it, I guess it's exercise in a different way. I guess if there's a positive, you know, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Uh, but anyways. And is the V, is the VA taking care of you? Okay. Or is, is that you know, well, I actually, uh, I don't go to the VA a lot. I, I actually have, so I, I honorably retired. So I use TRICARE Prime and oh nice. Uh, what a blessing though that is because yeah. we get to go see any doctor we want. Right. Um, and I, I prefer Texas. I lived there a long time. So I go to a doctor in Texas that uh, does a lot of the Dallas Cowboys and we know how they've been the last 20 years. So they need a good doctor. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I go to a doctor through my TRICARE and, uh, but you know, and I'm not here to bash the VA. I just, it's right. just the wait time, the lines. How, will that will it ever be fixed? I mean, oh, yeah. I, I mean, there there's a lot of problems at the VA, and I, I feel bad for all these you know veterans that have to wait sometimes months to be seen. I mean, unacceptable, yeah. unacceptable. When you, find, when you find when I tell you what's happening, you're gonna be you know when you go read it and you go read it for yourself and you do it in the chronological order, you're gonna be like. Yes, everything's being cleaned out right now. And like, like the people, the people that put their blood, the people that put their blood, sweat, and tears on the line for our freedom, safety, and security should get the top of the line healthcare. I mean, the, these are the real heroes. It's not athletes. It's not celebrities. It's the men and women in uniform who are the real heroes. And I've always said that. You know, the the amount of courage it takes to do what you guys do. Same with our police officers, the military, the police officers. I mean, it's like you guys kiss your families goodbye on a daily basis, you know, not knowing if you're ever going to come home and, and just fighting for the for the freedom of this country. I just it's just such a beautiful thing. I mean, I just I admire you guys extremely. There's a lot of great guys out there. A lot of um, a lot of like this. He's a Navy vet here and uh, there's one down the hallway. He was a colonel and. Uh, yeah. But yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great guys out there and gals that 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 do. They risk their necks, and um, I got to do it a little while, not as long as I wanted. But I mean, some of these guys, I mean, they, I mean, I know some dudes that are that are loaded, and it's like I don't even know how you're walking. Uh, right. But but still, no, I got a, I mean, I got a blueprint that's gonna make you fired up. Now I'm gonna tell you, uh, you're gonna love it. I'm telling you. So. And, and when you where where did you go? Like where were you serving at? Like what what areas? So I did Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and Fort Irwin, California, where my uh, place is. And okay, um, and then um, I had some stuff happen that I really did. I just I tried what I did when I got out and I got in country music. Um, my team used my Army veteran status, and um, and then you know newspapers. But I, I try not to talk about it from the standpoint because I didn't expect. Well, I mean, I said I didn't expect. I I was planning on a career in country music. Um, I didn't know it was going to blow up like this. So what I try to do is try to, I'm, a lot of people don't know George Strait, the country singer, George Strait's oh, yeah, an army veteran. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. But he don't talk great. about yeah. it. Right. He don't talk about it. He kind of lets people find out. So I've had people put out flyers and stuff like that and, and they did it on their own. 
Um, but I try to be the guy that kind of blends back in and, um, in, in that regards. Now, I do have in my documents when I say I'm an Army veteran, I say that because of this. You know, military people at the end of the day, most military people have a good heart, good mind, good soul, good spirit, and they want the best out of you. So it's like a trust factor. It's like, hey, I didn't write these laws and orders. Here they are. But you can normally trust a veteran in the sense of if, they, if they're honorably uh, this guy here he had an honorable discharge and there's a plaque. I got mine hanging up. But if you have an honorable retirement, honorable discharge, um, there's there's only so many ways you can prove certain people's service anyways um, outside of their buddies and things of that nature. But I try to like blend back in and not, you know, because this military is a team thing. It's not an I and what did I do and things of that nature. So I've tried to do that. But, you know, unfortunately, journalists and things like that. They always do something. They always spend something and it always comes back on you. And I'm like, man, I just, I just prefer not to say anything out of my mouth because then people take it and they do it. And I try to stay as, as just neutral as possible um, outside of telling you how, you know, someone's still your president by laws and orders. Right. And, and, and I want to go back to also, you know, transitioning from coming out of the military, being a top country star, I mean, man, what a life. I mean, that. I wasn't a top one. I mean, but the top would have been a number one hit or maybe a top 10 or 20. But, but you know, did, did you all did you always have a desire to be in music? Like, was it always one of your passions growing up or did you just kind of accidentally fall into it? No, my, my grandfather, um, he was a musician and he uh, he toured back in the day, the 40s. He played all those circuits, but the circuits looked different back then. He was. Um, I mean, it looked completely different. It was just bar scenes. And then like he and Hank Williams, they were boarding mates wow. uh, together in Mobile, Alabama. And wow. I mean, of all people, of all people in the world, um, Elvis was even asked one time, you know, about, uh, he said, you know, how's it feel being the world's first superstar? And he said, I'm not. He's like, Hank Williams was. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. And, and my grandpa, of all people, who was a boarding mate, I mean, come on. Uh, so you know, I, I had that. He taught me guitar and he instilled that in me. And then, um, you know, but I just moved to Nashville like everybody else did. And yeah. it happened. Uh, but it didn't happen the first time. It happened the second time I went back. So and, um, and if you know, if people really want to pursue the country star path and, and being a singer in that realm, Nashville is the place to be. Right. I mean, that is the hub. Would well, you say that's fair? It's starting to, it's, it's, it's changing a little bit, but um, just because the industry is getting so saturated um, and so many people are doing in-house things now. So unfortunately I'm, I'm a connoisseur of history, um, which is what my blueprint's about as well as history. And if you don't know your history, how you know if it's repeating good or bad. Um, and so they've, I say they, I mean, it's not everybody, right? It's kind of like this blueprint I have mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's like, it's not everybody, but you got to know who they are, but there's a lot of people who have, um, really watered down Nashville's history um, and the Music Row scene. And Music Row is an iconic place. And so I don't know, you know, like I, I'm not one of the, I'm, it's kind of like when people say, what branch would you go in if you were going in? I'm like, well, I'm going to say Army because I went in the Army. Um, I'm not going to say anybody else. And I don't knock the other branches. I'm just like, I'm an Army guy, so I better, I better say Army. Uh, so moved to Nashville, but it's just a city, right? It's actually an industry and you got to figure out who runs it. And it's a tiny group of people and uh, it's, it's very political. <laughs> so. Right. And when I was there a few years ago, I mean, obviously I know there's quite a few conservatives, which I, which I love, 
But I was really skeptical when I saw quite a bit of liberals. I mean, I didn't know that Nashville had as many liberals as I saw. I mean, it's uh, it's a little crazy to me. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it, I hope it doesn't turn into an Austin, Texas scenario. That would be bad. Well, I think it's already about 75% there. Uh, but, you know, of and of course, I'm not good. Yeah. I mean, I've done some stuff in country music that, that could bring the whole show down because I set some records. They're industry records, though. But um, and we're we we keep we're keeping that for another day. But right. um, it's kind of there. I mean, it's, it's set, I'd say 75 percent there. But it's so, just because it's so saturated. I mean, it, and it's like anything else. But then what's going to end up happening is what's happening with our country right now. When you hear the blueprint, then. You've, when you realize that there's some people left, they just had to find their backbone. They had to find their voice and stand up and then lock arms kind of deal and then say, hey, no, we want to preserve the history. We want to preserve uh, for the futures. So there's enough people doing that right now in country music and a lot of it's coming back. Uh, so music like mine, that's very tr traditional. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's that. But, well, yeah. And I wanted I wanted to ask you, you know, your your resume. I was reading it here. It's it's phenomenal. You know, um, I want you to talk about, though, what you're you talk about the election. Talk about that real quick. You had some things you well, wanted to get into in detail. Well, well, look, I mean, here's the deal. Donald John Trump is still your president legally by laws and orders. And I'm going to show you really quick how one article two of the Constitution. All right. It specifically says that the president is commander in chief of the army and the navy, a military guy. Our military was founded first. Okay, military was founded for first in this nation. The first laws in this nation were military laws. All right, we never had anything on paper that clarified this. In 2016, the Supreme Court of the United States of America clarified this in the Military Justice Act, which is what it says. Military laws, courts, and personnel are separate from civil laws, courts, and personnel. So there's that. That went into play. Then you have two federal continuity directives um, that tell you specifically what's going on with our three branches of government right now. They're under a continuity government, but the military stepped in, and here's how. The only person who can federalize the National Guard of active duty is the president of the United States of America. The only president who has federalized the National Guard of active duty is Donald John Trump, March 2020 with Executive Order 13912. That's a military order. That's a command. That is not all federal law. That's a military command. Congress gave Roosevelt the power to restructure the executive branch to declare war by the president with the First and Second War Powers Act. That is undisputable. And that's why Pelosi and Schumer and Schiff and all them, that's why they lost their marbles, because Donald John Trump was an outsider and he knew that. And he issued an order. That's a military order. When he gave that order, he became that commander in chief. He became that wartime president. He said it in 2020, different war, same scenario as World War II. Okay, so move forward. All right, Biden is a continuity of government. If you can't tell that that guy ain't the same dude as the vice president and the senator, you need to see an ophthalmologist yesterday. Okay, total different dude. Now, let me show you how he's a different guy military. Guess who performs all the inaugurations for the presidents? The third infantry ID from the army. Guess who performs the president's funerals? The army. Okay. For the inaugurations, we have four cannons, 
four cannons. We don't mess this up, ladies and gentlemen. This is every four and eight years. You don't just show up to your colonel or whoever you report to and say, sorry, sorry, we left off a cannon. Well, guess what? Four cannons inauguration, three for funerals. How come Biden had three cannons on January the 20th, 2021? The Army don't mess up like that, ladies and gentlemen. You're watching a covert operation by military. Let me show you how some more. Space Force. Who created the Space Force? I believe that was Donald John Trump on December the 20th, 2019. Guess what else happened that day? The Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is military law, was also updated that day to back the Law of War Manual that was also updated in 2015 and updated in 2016 again. That is what they're operating under. So the Space Force, guess what two words have never been uttered out of old Sleepy Joe's mouth? The Space Force. Well, guess what the Space Force happened in August and December this past year? The Army and the Navy transfer all communications to the Space Force to be under one command. Well, the Biden's never, ever mentioned the words Space Force out of his mouth. And Donald John Trump was the one who gave the command to federalize the troops. How come people don't understand that? Okay, so it's because people don't read. 75% of America can't even name the three branches of government. So I know they don't want to talk to me about military and military laws. That was a direct order. And also in Executive Order 13919, guess what old boss man did? Old boss man gave the Secretary of Defense equal authority as the president to federalize the National Guard to active duty. In Executive Order 13912, guess what's happened? Biden has extended that order out to 2024. Biden ain't alive, ladies and gentlemen. Biden, he is in Gitmo. And let me tell you how he's in Gitmo. Let me tell you how he's in Gitmo. Executive Order 13823, Donald Trump revoked Obama's order to shut it down. And he kept it going. If Biden was president, he'd have the same powers as every other president. How come he ain't revoked that executive order? Okay. He hasn't shut down Gitmo. And there's aircraft every day. I watch them every day on a flight app because I'm an air missile defense dude. How come we have aircraft going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth every single day? And also that Executive Order 13912 proves Donald Trump on any day, on any given day, Donald Trump and Biden will not see eye to eye. Why would Biden extend that order that federalized the National Guard? Because he can't command them down. When that order was given, that's a direct order from the commander in chief, which is Article 2. Remember what I just said? The Army and the Navy transfer all communications to the Space Force. What's Article 2 say? He's the big commander in chief of the what? The Army and the Navy. That's what it says in Article 2. Well, who created the Space Force? Donald John Trump. It's all there. All people have to do is go read. It's .gov and .military sites. It's a chronological order on the blueprint. I call it the blueprints, the documents.info. I put it free PDF files. I'm not a grifter. It's free. It's in a chronological order. All the laws and orders of what's going on. And it's a visual picture. But people don't know that because people don't read anymore. People don't want it. They want audio. And you got all these hoity-toity dudes. I get them. I get all the enlisted dudes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you didn't serve long enough to know this. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be a veteran to know this stuff. We are a nation of laws and orders. It's plain and simple. You ain't got to know what the laws and orders say. And our Constitution and our founders made it to where you, the average person, I'm an average guy. I, I live on a, a regular budget, Army retirement. It's not the greatest in the world, but I'm content and happy and I have a purpose. So you have to understand it is your right and duty to the Declaration of Independence it's your right and duty to understand these laws and orders that are in place. 
not all these he said, she said, all these podcasts out there. And I'm not knocking everybody. I'm just saying if you don't know the laws and orders that are in current and active, you can't you can't stand on anything. You don't have a foundation. You're just grasping for straws. So I'm not knocking people, but it's it's frustrating for military personnel. And the reason why I went viral is because of things like this. These guys right here who took the fall in uniform, we served under the same Title 10. It's the same Title 10 that the president federalizes the National Guard to act to duty. So you can't have one without the other. He died under the same Title 10. And that's the thing that we got to get back. We can't be saying we have freedom of expression and freedom of speech and all this if you don't even know what the laws and orders say. So, Derek, after after saying all of what you just said, what happens next? Well, the people have to realize that you got You have a right and a duty. The Declaration of Independence says it's your right and it is our duty to overthrow such government that goes against its foundation. Now, I'm not saying an inciting thing. What I'm saying is people need to go read the simplicities of government. Learn your three branches of government. 75% of America can't even name the three branches. Can't even name them. Don't tell me what they do. Man. Just name them. Okay. That's a hard number. Um, my business manager is that's watching her cousin's a dentist. The other day she tried it on her office. She went around. I mean, these are staffers. Some people said, name the three branches of government. Six out of six couldn't name them. That's a hundred percent. I'm saying 75 based off of Google. That's a hundred percent. So what people need to do are read laws and orders that are in place. Go to federalregister.gov. First off, go to the, the documents.info. And I've got all of these in, a, in an order. So once you click on one, you'll see all the acts. You'll see all the laws. You'll see them that are in place. So there's that. But the federalregister.gov, you can go Google and say executive orders. Just put executive orders in and then sort of say gov behind it. And it'll pull up the federal register. And you can go click on all. But you got another origin of where the narrative changed. Where the narrative changed is in 2016. Donald Trump said never again will we voice to the public what's going on with our military. Because if you find out, guess who else finds out? So you have to know where the order was commanded and understand that. That's why it's imperative to understand military came first, military law came first, and that's what's going on. So people have to hear and know where to start because there's a lot of laws out there. Marbury versus Madison, 1803. So there's, there's statutes that if a statute doesn't bear the appearance of a law that doesn't back the constitution, it's null and void. So there's a lot of laws and acts out there that, that are unnecessary. So you have to see where the military stepped in, not visually, but by law and order. And the National Guard have been out of their state jurisdictions in this country every single day since that order was given. That's they're federalized. You can't they don't just go out of their states this morning. Matter of fact, a Coast Guard, Coast Guard in Wyoming. Are you serious right now? So if you go read the federal continuity directives, you'll see the emergency response groups and put together what they're planning on doing, because you're going to see pretty soon what Donald Trump's been saying at his speeches. We're going to decimate street crime by 75 to 85 percent. You know what that means? Martial law. So y'all better get ready for it. It's coming and ain't nothing y'all can do to stop it. He told you there's a storm coming. Wait for it. Now, oh, he said that 2017. No, wait for it. That's how the military works. It's a controlled operation because he's saving everybody he can. And he's saying every patriot get on board. Don't matter if you're gay, straight, Buddhist, atheist, whatever you are, ain't got a thing to do with nothing. Right now, it's Patriot first. And Derek, do you have any books coming out or anything? I do, actually. Uh, it's it's going to be, um, you know, 
what was I doing? How in the heck did I figure this out? And it's going to be about the, uh, the, uh, the blueprint, but I think we're going to call it executive orders for dummies or something like that. And, um, just where people can maybe get mad at me, but I don't mind because they're already mad at me. Uh, certain people, that's fine. <laughs> but, right. you know, I came out the gate hard on my first video, like just, anyway, I was passionate. People don't understand passion these days. They watch it in the movies and they love it in the movies, like Al Pacino and Sin of a Woman. But Derek Johnson, a veteran, gets on there and, oh, he's got an attitude problem. It's not the case, but it's going to be a book not knocking people out there. It's like, Right. And I definitely want to get you back on here soon. But before I let you go, have you been in contact with any elected officials in regards to your projects and what you're working on? I mean, I know a few that are retired now, you know, but, you know, I know the etiquette and bearing around that. Just like when I'm around Commander Chief Trump, I don't say anything uh, because, one, I still hold my bearing, uh, even though I didn't serve under him. Uh, but you know, it's no different when I'm around this, the, the commander right down the, the hallway here, I, I still, I still, tr I didn't serve with him, but I treat him with that respect. So, uh, same with the Congressman, they're all under oath. They're, they're under a continuity of government right now, but they're under an oath and they're under national security. So they can't talk and I don't put them in that position, um, unless they're retired. And then we talk, we talk, but sure. The retired guys, um, I talked to a bunch of, uh, different people. My mother was with, uh, state legislature for 10 years. So, uh, you know, the ones that are former, um, I talked to them. I got a lot of high ranking officials from the military that, that are retired. They're not, they're not active, um, that, that we correspond. Um, and I've got full backing from a lot of people in that, that stature. Um, but I don't put anybody in a position either. Uh, I know that etiquette and I know that bearing, um, and I wouldn't do that to them. And that way I don't have to jeopardize or even be, uh, uh you know, contemplate thinking about doing such. Right. Uh, Daniel, t t uh, we'll get you back here soon. Tell everybody where they can find you and get involved. So the documents.info, that's plural, the documents.info. I have the 1776nation.com. And then I have Facebook, 1776nation. Um, I have uh, Twitter. And uh, that's it's, so my Twitter and Telegram handles and Rumble are um, uh, Rattle Trap 1776, because as you can tell, I don't like to talk at all. So Rattle Trap 1776. And True Social is at Derek Johnson. Perfect, my friend. Well, uh, keep up the good work. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Good to Absolutely. see you. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody. Uh, Rory Sauter and the News coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. Wow, it's so soft and smooth. It's cool to the touch. How did you do that? Well, we took my pillow's patented bill and combined it with this new technology that we didn't have back then when I invented my pillow to bring you the best pillow in history, MyPillow 2.0. Just like all of you, I never imagined that MyPillow could get any better. That's why I haven't changed it in nearly 20 years. Then I heard about a revolutionary new technology and I knew I had to bring it to you all. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. The MyPillow 2.0 is cooler and softer than the last MyPillow. It is so comfortable to sleep on at night. I look forward to going to bed and I wake up well rested in the morning. Sleep is all about temperature and height. MyPillow 2.0's patented adjustable fill 
is going to give you the exact individual support you need from your head to your bed. And now here's where it gets even better. We've all experienced those temperature-related sleep interruptions where you get too hot, you toss and turn, you flip your pillow over to the cool side. Well, all that's gone with my brand new MyPillow 2.0 cooling fabric that's made with temperature-regulating thread. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence, and this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever going to have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or a depus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. 
And we are back. Rory Sodder and the news coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. My next guest is Dr. Daniel Haller. Uh, how are you? Welcome to the show. Your first time on. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, first and foremost, give us a little bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun stuff. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am a uh, acute care surgeon, they call it. I do uh, emergency general surgery, trauma surgery, and critical care. Uh, started way back when, probably when I was four or five. Um, the, uh, the HIV AIDS epidemic was uh, rampant, early 80s, and uh, for some reason I thought I was going to cure it. Uh, obviously, it wasn't me who, uh, who put all the work into it, but for some uh, reason that push towards medicine led me to where I am today. Uh, I'm a practicing acute care surgeon uh, in New York. Wow. So, so talk about, wow, this is, this is crazy. So you, you were involved in the medical field when the whole AIDS uh, scenario went down. I was four or five. I wouldn't exactly say involved in the medical field, but I had these, the wheels were turning how I'm going to cure that disease. Oh, I misheard you. I thought you said initially that you were kind of involved in the, in the middle of that and, and saw that go down. So I wanted to, you know, hear your experiences with, uh, you know, because that was a crazy, that was a crazy time. That was. Everybody was scared of everything, similar to like mid-2020. You know, people yeah. were scared to talk to other people. So uh, their early 80s was a, a very, uh, just like 2020 was, a very defining time in American history. Yeah, and, and and I'll tell you something. You know, speaking of that time, look who was over. Look who was overseeing all the operations. Fauci, same guy that's we're dealing with right now, overseeing perhaps the most corrupt scamdemic of all time. I like that scamdemic. So true. What are your thoughts? So I mean, we we were on the front lines of COVID. Uh, my group uh, doing being that we. Uh, perform critical care. We actually converted our whole practice to just providing critical care in New York. And the, the death and destruction was devastating. Um, I, I can't speak to the, or I, it's not really my place right now to speak to the science of mask wearing or vaccinations. Um, I did feel that it was uh, kind of odd that some of my colleagues who fought on the front lines uh, and saw people die, risk their lives every day, running into patients' rooms, taking care of them. Uh, all of a sudden, they were banned from coming into the hospital because of the vaccine mandates. Um, it was okay to use them for a purpose uh, during their early days, and then five, four, five, six months later, all of a sudden to say, sorry, you can't work in the field of medicine anymore if you don't get a vaccine. I thought it was a little bit odd, um, but uh, again, uh, many things in politics have and medicine are are not always what they seem, and and that brings us to where we are with this No Surprises Act. Yes, yeah, so I want to ask you. You know, we saw in the early days on the on the mainstream media channels all these body bags, and a lot of it looked like propaganda, fear mongering. I mean, we we know that you know COVID was real. There's no doubt about that. But explain that. I mean, was it as excessive and crazy as the narrative? I mean, because I want to I ask somebody like you who was on the front lines. I don't want to just ask some 
pundit, you know, in the commentary field, I want to ask somebody who saw everything like you. So I, I can tell you my experience. Yeah. Um, I came home every day, uh, stripped in the garage, went upstairs, showered, and basically crawled on the floor of the shower crying because I was losing between 10 and 15 patients a day. The patients, wow. patients were coming up fast. Uh, I would get a notice from the nurse saying, Dr. Haller, patient XYZ just arrived. Did you know they were coming up? I said, no, but who cares? Put them in a room. Half hour later, dead. That would happen multiple times uh, a day. Uh, we would, when we tried to stop intubating people because everyone was saying that we're killing people by intubating we would beg some of these patients please lay on your belly do the prone position which can help with your breathing and some of them would refuse uh, i remember there was this one guy um, who refused to to listen to some of the techniques we had for him to to be able to get better oxygen into his body mm -hmm. and uh we saw him in the morning at around seven o'clock in the morning. We rounded on him and by 930, he was dead. And uh, I I had to personally, I, this was my feeling, I needed to personally verify every single dead body, uh, write the notes, um, make sure they were dead before I called family members. Because the last thing I wanted was to call someone, tell them their family member died and it was a mistake. And this was happening literally 10 to 15 times a day. And uh, the morgues were completely over overused. There was no places to put bodies. And we did have refrigerator trucks outside of our hospital, just storing bodies. Uh, the, the backup uh, was tremendous because there wasn't enough funeral homes and people to, to go out and actually bury them. So the funeral homes were backed up. It backed up getting the bodies out from the morgue and these uh, refrigerator trucks. Uh, and we, we ran out of everything. I, it was scary on a daily basis, half every, every, twice a day, we would talk about how many ventilators we have left, how, how much medication we had for sedation. I was on this one meeting, we call it a huddle. Uh, I was in this huddle once and they were talking and saying, uh, you have you know less than 48 hours left of this standard medication for sedation. You have to think of alternatives. And that was every one of our medications. At some point, supply chain failed, and we were looking at shortages that were 12, 24, 48 hours. Uh, we had no protective equipment. I mean, I, I wore this mask, uh, must have been for seven, 10 days. And the inside of the mask, the fibers started to tickle my nose. And all I could think of was, I wanted to rip this mask off and just scratch my face. But if I did, that may be the last time I took a mask off. And we were terrified. Um, but we went in every day and we took care of what we needed to. And the, the amount of death that I saw there uh, was far beyond anything I ever could have imagined uh, going into the field of medicine. Um, it, was almost, it was almost like a mass unit in the middle of a war. Mm -hmm. People would just come in and they would die. And then I would call families and just hearing Hearing the screams on the other side of that phone is something that rings in my brain forever because all they would say was, how, why? I just saw them yesterday. Yesterday they were fine. I dropped them off in the emergency room. How could you tell me 12, 15, 20 hours later that they're dead? Why didn't you do anything? It's all your fault. And they would blame us. 
And going into medicine, we know we're not going to heal or cure everybody. But we have a pretty good estimate that it's not going to be 10 to 15 deaths a day. Uh, before COVID, I would probably say that the worst day that I had was managing both uh, surgery, a patient, and a patient in the intensive care unit that was someone else's patient that I was managing from surgery or trauma. And I think my worst day ever was losing 30, well, sorry, was losing three patients in a day. Uh, and that's a lot. Uh, and then fast forward to March, April, May of COVID, uh, we ran the units for 90 days until things started to slow down and the hospitals were able to uh, acquire more critical care physicians that they didn't need us on a daily basis. Um, I just didn't expect to ever see that much death. It was, it was life-changing for me uh, and um, it's something that I'll have to live with every day moving forward that I do live with. Would you say it's fair to say that most of these deaths that you were seeing were elderly or people with pre-existing conditions? It wasn't young, healthy people that never had anything wrong with them. Right? I, I wish. Um, Spanish population, black population got hit much harder than the white population. Uh, we lost people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, in addition to 60s, 70s, and 80s. But um I, if I had to say young to old, I'd probably say 30 to 70. Uh, I still, it, it was hard. It was mostly people with pre-existing conditions, right? No, I, not really. I, I lost this 30, early 30 Hispanic woman. Um, she had, she was a little overweight, but had no other pre-existing. Well, there you go. I mean, that they said obesity was one of the main factors. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the issue was exercise and not taking proper vitamins and not dieting and stuff like that. So I think that played a big part. They said 70% of the COVID deaths were people that were obese. That, that was according to the data. It was government data. It wasn't even propaganda or anything. Yeah. It, it was, it was a lot of death. And uh, this one woman in particular, I remember uh, her lungs had gotten so stiff that on a Friday night, I get a phone call that uh, her oxygen levels are plummeting um, and they can't hear any breath sounds. And immediately what goes through someone's mind in that field is her lungs must have popped. So I get in the car and I, I literally race to the hospital because there's no one else that can do this. And uh, I put uh, chest tubes on both sides, tubes yeah. that go in to the space between the lungs and the, and the chest wall. And I evacuate the air uh, that was there. And um, uh, I just remember her taking a turn for the worst at that point. And it, it was hard to, to actually find, to, to have time in the day. We were working 17, 18 hour days around the clock every day for about 90 plus days. And uh, I, I, I started this idea that we were actually texting the families because to call a family every day when all we're doing is trying to manage and take care of people, uh, it, we had at some point we had 40, 45 patients on our census. I, we didn't have the time to make phone calls to all these people. So we were texting updates and they were texting back. And this one young Hispanic woman, I remember her, her husband sends me a picture of her three little kids and says, please save her. They need their mom. And I, I died inside. I did. And when she died, I 
I took it hard. I took all the deaths hard because we, we thought that stupidly, we thought that we really could get a handle on it. And we, we couldn't. It, it, the virus just needed to mutate naturally the way it did for, for it to become less virulent. And, and when you see all these nurses doing TikTok dances during this pandemic, did that bother you? It was a constant thing. I mean, why are people dancing and celebrating when people are dying? I, I'm not sure what goes through people's minds when they do <laughs> silly things on social media. Um, I, maybe laughter is a way to combat all the sorrow that they were seeing. Uh, it's, it's unclear to me. Um, all, all I know is that we tried our very best and our mortality data in our hospital was about uh if you got intubated uh you well, actually wasn't intubated if you ended up in the icu with covid you had a 70 to 75 percent mortality because if you get on that ventilator it's pretty much bye-bye you're not coming back once you get on that ventilator i mean that's yes, pretty much we were, we were but, but more, more more than not the ventilator is pretty much bye-bye right if your lungs advanced to the point where they were so stiff, not allowing oxygen into your body that you needed a ventilator, it was for most people, it was, a, it was past the point of no return. And we, we didn't, we, we never experienced something like this. And as a surgeon, as a trauma surgeon, we take care of the worst of the worst lung injuries. Mm -hmm. And we get people that are like this, impossible to get their oxygen levels high, impossible to get the poisonous carbon dioxide out of their body. Um, but this, this disease was different. There was almost nothing we could do. Whether, whether we didn't put the breathing tube in and we just put them on other methods yeah. uh, and they died or we put the breathing tube in and they died, it, it almost seemed like no matter what we did, they died. I would call my mentors and I would say to them, okay, this is what we're doing. We've done a little more research. We have a little more experience. Uh, this is what we're doing and everyone's dying. And my mentors would say, we tried that. We tried a whole host of other things. And no matter what we do, they're dying also. And it was very trying to go to your mentors that taught you everything you know in critical care and saying, we need help. And for them to throw their hands up in the air and say, we're trying everything and everyone's still dying was was very, it, it was it was heartbreaking, but it was kind of eye-opening just to, to, to let us as doctors know that there is so much that we don't know about medicine and health and life. I mean, if medicine is medicine's vast, the knowledge, and if, if it's, you know, you can't see my hands because of the, the, uh, the, the zoom, but uh, if there's this much medicine to know, we know like this much, a fraction of what there is to know. Dan Daniel, is it concerning to you? Um, all the data that's coming out with the dangers of the vaccines and the reactions that many people are having, whether it's heart conditions, whether it's male fertility, whether it's women on, on their periods, um, it's affecting pregnancies, causing different birth defects. I mean, there's different studies that have come out. Um, I, I don't know what your, I don't, what are your thoughts on this? I and I mean, the fact that people, people that are vaccinated can are continuously getting COVID, um, you know, and the messaging kept changing. They, they told people initially, if you get the shot, you're not going to get COVID. And then as time went on, they said, well, 
you, you, you may get sick, but you know, you know, you're not, at least you're not going to die. I mean, it kept changing the messaging. So I want to know what your thoughts are on everybody that's affected by this, that didn't that have bad reactions. Cause it's, the numbers are going up. I mean, I understand that maybe the vaccine had good effects on certain individuals, but there are others that are suffering. I can tell you. Oh, no, there certainly are. I know some people that have, I mean, I, I myself, I believe in natural immunity. I haven't been sick in 20 years. I run five miles every day. I lift weights. I take vitamins. I eat healthy. So I never bought into the narrative of having to put a shot in my body. I don't, cause I, cause a lot of it to me was the mainstream media fear mongering, telling, telling people that they're going to die if they, and I, and I'm, I'm not scared of death, first of all. So I, I, I said months before these vaccines even came out, I'm not even entertaining this idea. It's, I'm not touching this. Keep it away from me. You know, I mean, and that was my thought because if they were more about, well, let the person make their own decision rather than the forceful narrative. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it was so political. I, I do know. And it certainly was politicized. I think that um, this pandemic uh, was something that our modern culture has never seen before. Mm-hmm. And because it never saw something like this with the destruction that it was causing so rapidly, the way it spread across Europe and then comes to America and New York really got hit one of the first places. Um, yeah, New York New York was the was one of the worst because... From my understanding, everybody lives so close together, yeah. so that makes things really complicated, and it's easy to spread a, easier to spread a virus that way. If if I if I'm saying this correctly, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the 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 original strains of the virus was so hyper contagious, um, and it was very virulent. It 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 caused a lot more harm than the current strains that are out there. Uh, but I, I guess my feelings on this kind of went back and forth because we we had no data we had no historical experience with anything like this before mm-hmm. and the bodies that regulate this didn't have any plans in place to disseminate information in a in a clear and concise way for people to understand and that itself created a lot of fear amongst the population and right. i feel that almost that what what was happening was someone who doesn't know the answer to a question gives their best guess and then two weeks later changes it because they have new data it's all about managing expectations if you were to say i don't know the answer to this question but our experts are saying this and this may change but right now our best best guess is that this is the answer I, I think that would have had a different effect on people. But the way it was said was so definitive that if you do this, you will be okay. When really we had no idea. We had no clue how to combat the virus, how to protect from the virus. We had no idea. And I remember reading in the early days some articles on, on how long uh, the virus uh, will stay alive and, and can be uh, uh, and can be uh, uh, given over or contaminated by plastic and metal and leather and cotton. 
And all that data would change over time as they started to get more and more data and more information. Um, I think a lot of people have lost faith in the body of medicine as a whole. Uh, I think they've lost faith in medicine's ability to have non-biased literature published, even in some of the biggest uh, peer-reviewed journals. Um, I, I don't know where to go from this. I, I find it hard sometimes now when I read a journal to, to even believe uh, uh, all the speculations and the data that they're, that, that they're putting forth. I mean, we, there are good humans and bad humans, and we can't change that. And there's always going to be people that are going to try to push their agenda, whether it's in a peer-reviewed journal that they really just want their name out or they want something associated with their name. There's always going to be people that will put themselves above all else. Unfortunately, uh, during the pandemic, there were lots of these people trying to push their own agenda, trying to make a name for themselves. And I think that that confused and hurt a lot of people because people did not know where to turn to for source of truth. And when I say truth, I mean the best truth that we can give. People didn't know where to turn. And when you're sick, you expect that you can turn to your doctor and he'll know the answer. He or she will know the answer, which right. is just, it's not what we had. And we did not know the answers and we didn't know where to get them. And the data that was coming in for us was so conflicting that we just had to basically choose best guesstimate as to how to move forward. And for a long time, we, I don't know if we were wrong. I don't know if the virus was just so virulent that really no matter what we would have done, it would have been the same. Um, in the early days, we didn't even know that people had it. If you came in with any kind of, of respiratory problem, we automatically assumed you had COVID. Back in those days, it took almost 14 days to get a, a test result back. Right. 14 days. They didn't have a way to test it. So all these people, we just assumed they had COVID. They had zero information starting this. And as things moved forward, we had a lot of information and we could not decide what was real, what was not real, what was good data, what was bad data, because there was so much conflicting information. We tried our best, we did our best, and unfortunately, I will have to live with the memory of all those people that, that we lost, because it was a lot. It was way more than I, I ever could have expected. And it, it still weighs on me today. Um, if I ever see and go through a chart and I see a name that I recognize, even if it's the not, even, even if it's not the same person, I'll say, oh, I, I remember that name. I treated someone with that last name in COVID and they died. And as time goes on, it seems like the medical field keeps getting more and more political and it's all about opinions rather than real medical, you know, terminology and, and, and proper diagnosis. Is that concerning to you? So I would probably say in the mid 2000s, the entire field of medicine was trying to move towards uh, move away from expert opinion and move more towards evidence based medicine. Right. And evidence-based medicine was what people would do and doctors and other uh, healthcare uh, practitioners would do research on and then publish, whether it was in smaller journals or, or, or highly reviewed or highly uh, revered uh, peer reviewed journals. Um, and we would 
have to choose and say, okay, we trust these journals. We trust their ability to go through the data, uh, go through the people that are submitting the data and decipher uh, who's being real and who's not, who's fudging their data. And fudging medical data is not something new. It's been going on ever since people were publishing uh, because people are, there are bad people out there who just want their name associated with something which will be out there for everyone in medicine to read. Um, I think I think now uh, me, many doctors, and certainly uh, we'll call them civilians, uh, just do not trust what we what we used to call evidence-based medicine. Uh, yeah. And if you can't trust the evidence, how do you go about choosing the correct path for your patients that you're treating? So I, I think that we need to have a little more uh, oversight over some of these journals that are just publishing and publishing and publishing from people who are publishing maniacs. I mean, you, you look at some of these people, they've published thousands of articles over, the, over their life of their career, literally thousands of articles. I, I personally don't know how people have time to, to publish thousands of articles if you're being clinical. Uh, yeah. I think th there is... There is a lot of politics in medical data, in medical research, in medical publications. Um, even if you spent zero time actually working on the data, uh, if you're head of a department, automatically your name went on the journal because you got to pay respect to the guy. And if you were a big name, then it's, wait, this guy's big name is now on this article. It must mean something. It must mean that this is all true. So I, I'm not sure how we get back to an era in which we trust our physicians to do what's right. Um, I, I don't know how we move backwards. Do, do, does, the does the pharmaceutical industry hacking the medical field? Uh, I know what I mean. I want to rephrase that. Does the pharmaceutical industry hijacking the medical field, you know, in so many ways, uh, concern you because there's so many doctors that are hesitant to use natural remedies. You know, majority of doctors, the first thing they turn to are pharmaceuticals. And it's, and like you said earlier, a lot of this is about the money. So I'm wondering what your take is on this. Yeah. But medicine has become a very big corporate monetary push. Um, and it's not just the pharma companies it's the insurance companies. Uh, they're, Them too. They're, they're both these massive evil conglomerates that do not particularly care about individual lives, but care about their shareholders, stakeholders, how much money they can say they made in a quarter, how much their stock can rise from doing certain things. And listen, we, we do need the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, they do spend. They do spend billions of dollars in research year, and they come up with some really good things. Um, I mean, they cured hepatitis C. We thought that would never be curable, and now there's medication to cure hepatitis C. Is it possible that there is a natural remedy? It, it is. I I won't uh, discredit the possibility. Anything's possible, right. but to this day we haven't found it. So if you do have hepatitis C and you want to get treated, you don't have much options. Um, we know that we spoke before about HIV and AIDS. It used to be a death sentence. Now you can live a normal life, even have unprotected sex potentially and not transmit the virus. Is there a natural remedy? Maybe. Uh, we, we as humans, we just haven't, we'll, we'll say we haven't been smart enough right. to look in the right places to find 
more natural remedies for the conditions that we have out there. Um, I, I, I think that conventional medicine is aimed around healing people and we use the tools that we have, right? You, if you go to a mechanic and your mechanic says, uh, you need this tire changed, but I don't have your exact tire, but I have something similar that will work. You're going to say, well, I need to drive. So just put that tire on and whenever the new one comes in, we'll get the new one. So we, we have to deal with the tools that we know of and that we do have experience with that works. I mean, we know that someone that has high blood pressure, if you give them this medication, their blood pressure will get lowered. Are there natural remedies? There are. People can decrease their soul intake. They could lose weight. They could exercise. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But most right. people don't want to put in the effort for the natural remedies. Right. They want the quick fix, right? People don't want to lose weight, so they get weight loss surgery. They don't right. want to exercise and lose weight, so now they're taking these injections of drugs that make them not hungry anymore. So we live in a time in in human history in which we all want this this immediate return. We don't want to wait. And it's it's not just the kids of today. It's not just the millennials. It's it's everyone. We want Amazon Prime delivering not in two days, in one day. And if it doesn't happen, we get angry, right? right? Oh, right. it said it was going to deliver in 24 hours, and it didn't happen. And we, we really get angry about it. Right. And uh, I, I don't know where to go, where our society goes from here, right? Where, where do you go when everything is at your fingertips? And and what is the next step? Yeah. And I'm sure we'll see it because time will unfold and all of the answers to all these questions will eventually become clear. Uh, are, we, are we being crazy to say that our society, the way we created it and the way it is moving and there has never been a civilization in mankind, however long you think mankind's been around for, hundreds of thousands of years, billions of years, however long you think they've been around for, there's never been a society that has stayed forever. They've all born, they grow, they reach a peak, a plateau, and then they all die. Is our society better than others? Have we been smarter? Are we the best and we're gonna continue forever? Or are we starting to reach our peak? And are we going to start to plateau soon? I don't know the answers. These are just questions that after COVID, after seeing all that death and destruction, I started to think about where, where are we in our civilization lifespan? Right. And if you look at all the chaos that's out there right now, and everyone is just waiting for that fire to be, or the match, it doesn't have to be a big fire, a little match to be lit. And now we're going to go out, all out war. And we're, I feel that people today are, are just they're ready it's almost like they they're ready to fight and they're getting yeah. ready and we're all on the edge of our seats and i don't know how to change that fix it or if it's even fixable and you brought up something that i wanted to touch on you know <clears throat> i'm not denying the fact that pharmaceuticals have created some magical drugs but here's what's interesting about this whole narrative is that when when you are responsible for creating these great drugs and you have that high of power, I believe, obviously, just like anything, you're going to abuse it. When you have a good enough track record, then, then you start testing the waters. Right. And then these that's when these bad drugs come out, if that makes any sense. So once you gain the public's trust, then that's when I feel like the pharmaceutical industry kind of 
did some shady things. Does that make any sense? It does. You can equate big pharma and big insurance companies almost to children, right? Children, as they grow, they flex a little bit. They try to say, right. I push the boundaries. And that's natural. It's natural to push boundaries for children because they want to see what their capabilities are. It's okay for companies and corporations to push the boundaries for good. But when you start to push the boundaries for the sole purpose of making money, irrespective of what it does to people, mm -hmm. that's where I think our society is failing. Right. Because it becomes all about the almighty dollar and not about the people that we're serving. And we, we create great medications and we create some not so great medications. And we, we really need to be more honest with ourselves and the population that we're serving, right? We're, I consider myself a public servant because I go out there every day and I take care of people regardless of whether I'm going to get paid or not. It's not like they pay me up front and I take care of them. I just take care of them and hopefully one day I'll get paid. So I consider myself a public servant and uh, we go out there every day and we help as much as we can. And we hope that the data information that's coming our way is the best it can be and the truest it can be. And we're seeing more and more that it probably isn't as, as, uh, as honest and true as it's supposed to be in, in a, in a perfect society. And again, we're humans. We, we have, uh, all these needs and wants and greed, and, uh, we don't, we don't live in a world in which, uh, we feel that everyone deserves exactly the same. I mean, most of us don't live in a socialist environment uh, in which everyone has exactly the same speakers and exactly the same phone. And well, right. I guess a lot of us have the same phones these days, but right. we don't live in a socialist society, but right. it, it, and that's okay. Uh, I don't necessarily, I, I don't believe that we should live in a socialist society, but I, I do think that, that when you enter certain fields to make money, you're, number one priority needs to be to the people that you vow to take care of and the pharmaceutical companies the insurance companies this is part of what they are supposed to be doing when in fact i wouldn't say that a hundred percent of the time or even close to a hundred percent of the time that's really what their goal is and no know, knowing what you know now with all the data that's come out would you still take the vaccine a great question um new york state just reversed their vaccine mandate uh i believe uh maybe um i think i think albany just said something which i think they did i think you're right i think i read uh, something yeah but that doesn't mean that the hospitals have reversed what they said also some hospitals because they get uh federal funding or what have you they will not reverse their personal mandates right um, so some of these uh, workers who who did not get the vaccine, um, and I I understood them. They would come to me and they say, Dr. Howler, I it's been a pleasure working with you the last you know eight years, but I'm not going to be working here anymore because I'm trying to get pregnant. But they're forcing me to take the vaccine, and I just don't know. And I yeah. I I, I want to get pregnant. So and then I'm not and then anymore. and then would you have people that you know? around the hospital that would shame others if they didn't get the vaccine other employees like was that was there fights and stuff like that 
Uh, I actually don't recall any vaccine shame. Because it created a huge divide. I mean, people, families got divided. I mean, it was crazy. Friends got divided. It it was. It it was. It it became everyone's topic. You're either for or against the vaccine. What's your name? I'm sorry. Are you for or against the vaccine? It it was, it it polarized the nation. It really did. Um, I I don't live uh, anywhere else in the world. I don't know what happened uh, in Europe or the Middle East or the Far East. I don't know how they accepted or didn't accept it. But in America, we were very polarized in terms of you're either for it or against it, and there's nothing else redeeming about you. Right. Like you, you could have been the best person in the world, giving every cent that you own to charity to save baby orphans. But if you got or didn't get your vaccine and someone didn't uh, agree with you, that's it. You were evil. Yeah. And I, Cold. I, I'm not sure that evil is so black and white. I, I think that there's many different shades of evil, and there's a lot of evil that's hidden amongst our civilization. And... You know, it's, it's hard sometimes to, to tell what is bad and what's not bad. And I do have to ask you this. You know, the FDA, there's been numerous reports that have come out that they've taken money that they shouldn't have taken several times from drug companies to get their stuff passed. They've had to pay fines. I mean, we can go on and on. Yeah. I think this is I think I think this is one of the many reasons a lot of people get bad reactions to a lot of pharmaceuticals because there are people there are people in these industries that get extremely compromised especially in the FDA I mean and many other places but you pay, you pass that thing and people get sick and they're they're exempt from liability it seems like yeah well when when the fine that is placed on your mega corporation, is not as high a value of the money that you make by pushing what your agenda is, then sure, we'll, we'll pay a couple hundred million. I mean, we made a few billion. Okay, we'll make a little less because we have to pay a fine. Right. So, and listen, we all know there's corruption in every industry. I mean, right. just, just, I don't remember when it happened, but at some point during the mid phase of the pandemic, I think the head of the FDA left and became some administrator at Merck. So, yes, there is, there is bad stuff that goes on. There's bad people. It used to be you knew who was bad and you knew who wasn't. You knew Hitler was bad. You knew Napoleon was, was a crazy person. And I, I don't know about Ivan the Great. But, you know, going back in history, there were people out there that we can look back and say those people were evil. All they cared about was themselves and their own, their own personal vendetta against the world and furthering their own interests. I think it's, it's less... It, it's less clear today who's bad and who's good. And and we all are taking sides and we're very polarized. And it, you're right, it has destroyed families. It's destroyed friends. Um, I have a brother who who doesn't do any vaccines uh, for his family, for his kids, uh, whether it's measles, mumps, or the COVID vaccine. And that's his choice. Yeah. It's his choice to, to choose. And uh, I, I will admit in the early stages of COVID, um, we were afraid to get together because we didn't want to hurt anybody. Right. So he could do what he wants and that's okay. You know, I can do what I want and that's okay. I just didn't want to potentially hurt him and he didn't want to hurt me. I, I think that people have, that this is America, man. People have a right to their opinions yeah. and 
we, we can't say that they're evil because of their opinions. And people should have the right to, to choose their path as long as it doesn't hurt others. Please. I guess. I, what do I know? I'm just a doctor. No, I, I agree. I agree with you. Very well said. Now, I, I was going to ask you this. You know, I knew a guy, and this is really weird. I knew a guy that got hit by a car, and they labeled his death as COVID. So I'm wondering how this works. I mean, and there were reports out that hospitals were getting paid extra money to put COVID on the cause of death. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know. So if you know, if, I don't know if you know anything about that, but. Well, that specific case, I don't know about. I, I don't know if he came in and otherwise would have been salvageable, but he either got COVID in the hospital or had COVID. And because of that, his cause of death was COVID. I don't know. Um, for, for every for every one tale, there's four different truths. Right. And uh, I, I can say, though, that um, there was COVID became a huge moneymaker. And not just in the vaccine world, in the testing world, in the infusion of plasma that didn't really work, in the infusion of all these monoclonal antibodies, which questionably worked. Funeral homes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was there was some smaller. I, I was trying to keep because we were in the throes of it. I was trying to keep tabs on uh, on all of the companies coming out with how whatever they thought was you know. The best drug for COVID, and uh, there were some microcap companies that had great data. Their drugs never saw the light of day. Drugs never passed any any good trials because the big pharma is the ones that pushed out all of their med, all of their meds, um, and they were able to fast track things through the FDA and we. We all know this corruption. We all know that the more money you have, the more power you have. That's just that just seems to be the nature of our civilization, uh, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But as long as we are awake to that that notion, and we understand that people in industries of healthcare are not always good, then at least we have the power to hopefully, uh, at least hopefully, we have the power to make our own decisions. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I got, I got to ask you this as well. Um, in regards to ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, how do you feel about those drugs? Uh, we used hydrochloroquine in the beginning. Um, I, I think we killed a bunch of people using it um, because we were using it in combination with other medications uh, that potentially could be toxic. Uh, I think that... Uh, uh, hydrochloroquine, it, along with other medications, are known to prolong, just to make it simple, to prolong a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. uh, and if a heartbeat gets prolonged too much and yeah. it it beats on another beat, then all of a sudden your heart can stop. And I think we hurt some people by using medications, trying to help them. Uh, and whether they worked or didn't work, I don't think we had the knowledge at the time to say which people it would work for and which people it won't work for. I mean, why, why, why do you think there's there's 20 different kinds of, of medications against blood pressure? Because some people's genomics allow one kind and another kind, it doesn't work. 
everyone body is built different. We're, we're not. And because of the money, man. And because of how much money they make. <laughs> well, that, that, that could be too, but, but, uh, we're, well, but you're right. You're right. Everybody, everybody's body reacts differently to yeah. you know, everything. I, yeah. I, I always found it interesting that nature has, has a way to, to, uh, go after certain people almost as if they were, it was, it was programmed to assassinate them. Mm-hmm. What is that called? It's called an allergy. Why is it that some people have a peanut allergy and they'll die if they even, you know, are in a close proximity to any peanut dust and other people can just keep popping in the baseball games. This is our genetic code. Everyone's different. Different people will react to different medications in certain ways. Some will be favorable. Some will not be favorable. Right. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why there are so many medications, because if there was one medication that worked on everyone and worked perfectly, and we wouldn't need more than one because that one would be the best one to, to use and everyone would use it. But yes, there is push to say, well, if you made one and you made money on it, let me make one too. And let me find a population that that serves best. And then another person says, well, I want to make money on it too. So let's do some research and see who we can help the best and make money off of that too. So there's always the money factor behind it. There's greed and there's corruption. Uh, and we as a as a nation as a civilization we have to just be smart enough to to do our own due diligence Mm -hmm. and to try to to be as educated as we can be and unfortunately with the vastness of of the internet there's a ton of irrelevant and wrong information that's out there and there's this people do not know how to filter that information Right. And then what happens is they rely on their physicians or experts in whatever field, and even if it's not medicine, to digest all this information and give them what is near closest to truth. And I, like I said before, I think people have lost faith in medicine, in doctors, to give them what they think is the truth. Agreed. Agreed. And, and real quick, before I let you go, um, I want to get you back here. I want to get you back here. I, I like having you on a lot more. I want to discuss with you um, your day to day operations. I mean, as a surgeon, do you what what do you specifically work on? I mean, I mean, are you an ER doctor? Do you do every sort of surgery? Yeah. So th- this is this is one of the non-truths that media and television and TVs have uh, have kind of propagated. It, there really is no such thing as an ER doctor. I don't hang out in the emergency room. Uh, when the ER has something which ER or the medical floors, when they have something which potentially or is a surgical disease, mm-hmm. they call us because they don't know how to manage them. They don't know how to operate. So we come down to the ER for minutes, half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. And if you feel the patient needs surgery or has a potential surgical disease, then we bring them onto our service and we take care of them. Some of these patients end up needing surgery and some people don't. But we don't hang out in the emergency room as what they call an ER doc. ER docs are doctors that uh, manage everything that walks into the door of the emergency room. And they call consultants and specialists to deal with specific diseases. So they call us every time there's a potential or a surgical disease that they found. For instance, simplest of simples, uh, emergency room calls it, calls us on any given day and says, I have a patient here, 25 year old male appendicitis. Okay, perfect. That's a surgical disease. We come in, we 
we talk to the patient, say you need surgery, and then prepare the operating room, and we take them up to the operating room and take up their appendix. That's and that's like simple, fairly straightforward disease process. That's a surgical disease. There are others that get very advanced, and you could be in the operating room for hours and hours. Some of my uh, uh, partners, they were in the operating room. I think it was six weeks ago, taking care of this woman with bad diverticular disease, bad diverticulitis, perforated and abscess, and really almost as if a bomb went off inside of her. And they were in there for 10 hours doing robotic surgery on her. So we give everything that we can. We try to help everyone that walks in the door. Um, we do, uh, we and I, uh, we take trauma shifts. So if I'm on for trauma, I'm literally in the hospital for 12 hours. And if any trauma comes in, meaning a gunshot wound, stab wound, fall from a height, or just an old person who falls and hits their head and has a brain bleed, or if you're in a car accident, which is becoming more and more common, uh, we come downstairs, we stabilize them, bring them into the hospital, manage them until they're ready to go home, and we try to save lives. And if they need more level of care and they're very sick, we bring them to the intensive care unit. And then we take care of them in the intensive care unit, whether they are bleeding and need blood transfusions uh, or their blood pressure is low and we need to put a breathing tube in and stabilize them or take them to the operating room. Uh, and then I also do about 20% of what I do is elective surgery. So for instance, today I did three robotic uh, surgeries. Uh, two of them were hernia repairs and one of them was a gallbladder that, that was malfunctioning. So my day-to-day -day isn't the same any two days of any day that I wake up. Every day I have no idea what to expect. And that's that's part of what draws me to my field. Yeah. Um, I don't see routine things. Uh, every time I go to the operating room, it's potentially something I, I may have not seen before. And that's what draws my interest. And every time you see something you haven't seen before, you get better. You get smarter. And you're able to take care of the next person even better. So one thing that I have learned from this whole process of, uh, of because I, I forget about what I said when I was four and five years old trying to cure HIV AIDS, but I, I started my, my real trail as a doctor in college and then medical school and then residency and then fellowship training. Uh, one thing that I have learned over the years is that to do what I do is a privilege. And that privilege, just like it's granted to me by the state of New York, because that's where I am, that privilege can be taken away from me by the state of New York. Right. Uh, just because I have MD after my name and because I have fellowships and went to all the school doesn't mean that I can take that for granted. And because it's a privilege to care for people who can't care for themselves, uh, we have to, as a body of medicine and, and practitioners, we have to remember that we owe them the best that we can every day. And that's what we try to do. We just try to give them our 100% every day that we go in. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And um, let's get let's get you back here soon. Uh, tell everybody where they can get involved, contact you, all that good stuff. Okay, uh, so we have a uh, a nonprofit website. Uh, there's a few of them out there that are trying to raise awareness uh, amongst the public, educate them to things that are changing in healthcare that can affect their access to healthcare. Uh, and one of them is constituentawareness.org. The other is realheroes.org. Um, realheroes.org was actually initially uh, uh, developed in order to give better understanding of the doctor's side of what's happening with COVID. 
Um, if you went to the website initially, and I think there's still some remnants there now, uh, pictures of people with marks. And I had these too. I would take off my mask at the end of the day, and I'd have these deep inset marks on my face uh, from the bands that were so tight just because you were you were terrified. You didn't want to breathe anything in. Um, so it was initially geared towards that. But as healthcare rules and laws started to change, uh, we just wanted the public to know what's changing because Unfortunately, our government tries to sneak changes in that may not necessarily be good for the people, but they're good for money. And uh, we try to educate the public to say, these are the changes that are coming through. Although they seem that they may be in the public's best interest, these are the reasons why they're potentially not. And you should know this. And if you don't like what you're hearing, speak to your local representative and say, well, why are we changing a system that was working. Why Why are we giving the insurance companies the ability to control what operation you get, what doctor you see, what medication you're allowed to get? And I, I have a colleague who uh, whose wife was on a headache medication for five years. She tried all different medications. And after five after a bunch of years, they finally found one that worked. And uh, last year, she was told, by her insurance company, sorry, we don't cover that anymore. Go find something new. Well, I've been on it for five years and it, I'm, I don't have headaches. I'm in remission. Why are you making me find something else? That's about money. That's about them saying, well, we just don't want to pay for this anymore. Uh, I hear countless stories every week about uh, doctors' practices, uh, colleagues of mine that come to me saying, well, game's, game's changing and it's possibly over soon because insurance company, for instance, th this particular one was Cigna. Cigna sent an e a letter today in the mail saying that we are no longer paying for this, for X. And the doc said to me, "What? I don't understand how they could just decide they're not paying for something that is life-changing. Um, I have a friend who's an allergist who was told by Oxford, who's owned by United Healthcare, that they will no longer pay to have a patient, and they're usually pediatric, patients. So let's say you're a 14 year old kid who's definitely allergic to peanuts and you want to desensitize them to peanuts, but you can't just say, here's a couple peanuts, go home. You got to monitor them. And she used to do that in her office. Insurance company recently said, sorry, we're not paying for that anymore. How do they have the right to do that? Uh, who's monitoring them? Who's telling them, okay, go ahead. You're playing with people's lives and you have a right to just deny people's care, even though they're paying you premiums. And we all know health insurance is very expensive. You expect that if you pay for health insurance, you should have your health care taken care of, not being told every day, okay, here's another bill because insurance company didn't pay. Here's another bill because they didn't want to pay. And at some point, that's really what takes a toll on people's economics. These, they're shelling out money. Can you imagine if you, if you uh, pay for car insurance and your car got into an accident and the damage was ten thousand dollars and the insurance company said we see ten thousand but we only want to pay five well that's what or we don't want to pay at all because we just we don't like you that is what's going on in health insurance in america we don't have a health care problem in america um say what you want about health care uh in terms of corruptness but in terms of the accessibility to health care up until a couple of years ago America had the best healthcare in the world. People from all over the world would come to America, regardless of price and economics, they would come to America to get healthcare because they knew that if they wanted it, they would get it now. 
right? You go to socialized medicine places and if you have cancer, you got to wait until the doctor's available, which could be three months, four months, six months. And sometimes that could be too late for you. In America, everything is right here. It's right now. And you're going to get it similar to everything that we do in America where instant gratification. You, you have a bum knee and you need to get an MRI. You'll get one in two days from now if the insurance company lets you get one because there's so many MRI machines. In Canada, you can wait six months to get an MRI. And if you need your knee surgery, you can wait a year or two years to get your knee surgery. So there's no doubt, in my mind at least, that America, United States, we have the best health care in the world. What we have is not a health care problem. We have a health insurance problem in which we as people are paying money to someone and saying, we're giving you this money and you're going to make sure that our health is taken care of and paid for. And then we're being told, well, we don't want to pay for this and we don't want to pay for this and we don't want to pay for that one. And now we're going to tell you that that you actually have to pay 50 percent and we'll only pay 50 percent. I mean, it's just it's so silly. Um, they have so many schemes, the insurance companies, and how to make the patients pay more than they should based on their contracts. Um, I mentioned an example before about appendicitis. Would you think that appendicitis uh, requires an admission to a hospital? I think most people do, right? You have appendicitis, you're going to get admitted to a hospital and you'll get taken care of with antibiotics, with pain medication, and with surgery. Uh, the insurance companies got together and they said, you know what? Appendicitis is not a diagnosis that gets admitted to a hospital. It is now considered ambulatory surgery. Well, guess what? Ambulatory surgery has a different split than inpatient. And I hope I'm making this clear, but if you were actually admitted to the hospital, the person would have to pay less money out of pocket than if it was ambulatory surgery. So they came up with a way to make the people that are paying for premiums, to pay for health care, to make sure that they're covered, they came up with a way to say, well, we know you paid us, but now you still have to pay more into the system because we're changing the rules on you. And these things aren't really regulated. Uh, they're, they're allowed to do whatever they want. United Healthcare in, uh, in, United Healthcare is one of the largest providers of insurance throughout the United States. And in 2022, the first quarter, about April, they boasted record-breaking profits of over $5 billion. Well, that just so happens that that first quarter was the first quarter that the No Surprises Act came into play. And I know we don't have a lot of time, but the No Surprises Act, which sounds like a great thing, but like many different acronyms and names of laws and statutes that the government puts forth, it didn't really do what its namesake made it seem like it was doing. And as, as a doctor, as a physician, as a surgeon who treats people in emergency situations, I mentioned earlier, we treat first and talk about money later. Uh, and uh, we used to get paid from the insurance companies and we're currently not getting paid. And what's happening now throughout the United States is that doctors are now saying, well, if they've changed the laws and they're letting the insurance companies decide what they're going to pay me for waking up at two o'clock in the morning and taking care of someone that's sick and saving a life, then it's just not worth my while and I'm not going to do that. Right. And what's happening in America now is that hospitals are losing their emergency services. Uh, people that come in and take care of patients in an emergency situation, they're losing some of these doctors 
and services to be able to, to, to give. Um, there are three hospitals in New York that lost their entire anesthesia team. The whole team, they just upped and left. They gave notice, 30, 60 days, we're out. Well, how do you get surgery in a hospital without anesthesia? How do you get a breathing tube if you need one? Because you have bad pneumonia without anesthesia. Uh, we have plastic surgeons throughout New York and Long Island that are refusing to cover the emergency room. They're saying, oh, you, your kid has a big gash on his face because they fell. Okay, let the emergency room doctor sew you up. Well, we want the plastic surgeon. I'm sorry, we're not covering the emergency room anymore because the insurance companies aren't paying us. So the, the story is not about doctors making less money because we'll, we'll always find a good paying job. It's right. about people who pay for healthcare yep. having lack of access to quality care when they need it. And that's the real idea that's going on. And that's why we're talking and educating the public because some of these laws that are coming out are decreasing access to people's health care, and they don't even know this is happening. Uh, in New York, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, she is changing the best insurance policy in the United States. Uh, this insurance policy is given out uh, to unions in New York and state employees, and it used to be open access. Go wherever you want. We're going to pay, and they're going to pay well. And we're going to make sure that you get the best health care possible. She is trying to change it. She's going to each union that's part of this bigger plan. And she's trying to convince them that if they close their network and don't allow their patients to go wherever they want, that somehow they're going to get money back on the back end. And it's going to be better for the organization. And by the way, this, this insurance that's given out, it's called NYSHA, they by no means are are in any money trouble whatsoever. So what's happening now is that all these union employees who some of them decided to actually go into and take a job because it had these amazing benefits, they're going to lose access to all their doctors. Can you imagine you have like spine problems and you've been going to the same doctor, he did multiple surgeries on you, you trust him with your life. And all of a sudden you can't go back to that doctor anymore because Kathy Hochul decided to change the plan to reappropriate the money from the state and put it somewhere else. Now, is it going to build the Buffalo Bill Stadium? $3 billion? I don't know. But all this is just happening around the same time. Right. And it, you can understand that you'll get less benefits if you pay less money. But insurance premiums never go down. They go up 6 to 10% per year. Well, you're paying more every year for health insurance. You're getting less and less and less. Who is watching this? Who is monitoring this? And I personally fear for patients that need emergency care and potentially won't be able to get it at some point in the near future, because what will end up happening is there'll be a two-tiered system. There'll be people who will say, I have cash and I'm going to pay cash. And other people who will say, no, I don't have the money and I'm just going to use my whatever crappy insurance. And then we're really creating a massive divide in the nation and it shouldn't be like that everyone should have access to quality health care especially if you're paying for it and health insurance is expensive and you're paying all this money and then being told we're not covering this and we're not covering that and we're not going to cover this drug and we're not going to cover the surgery and now we're increasing how much you have to pay if you do have surgery or you get a yeah. hospitalization how much you have to pay and it's coming to the point where it, people can blame it on on 
we'll talk about the cost of medicine. People can blame it on, uh, oh, these bills from the hospitals are so inflated. It costs a lot of money to run a hospital. I, I happen to also be the chairman of surgery at a local community hospital in Long Island. It costs a lot of money to keep things going. And it's, it's just like a home. You have to put money into a home and you have to keep it going and you have to keep maintaining it. And hospitals are very expensive to run. And we're humans. We're not the most efficient beings on this, on this planet. And uh, things aren't always done efficiently, but we do have very smart people running most of these organizations and they try to be as efficient mm -hmm. as they can. Uh, and their prices are high because they mm -hmm. need to be able to cover mm -hmm. services that don't get paid. For instance, you go to a, uh, not you, but someone has cancer and they go to a cancer center. Cancer centers today are beautiful, right? They're serene environments. And you have doctors talking to each other, collaborating like never before in history. And they're going into the communities and doing all this outreach and saying, okay, let's do breast cancer screening and let's do lung cancer screening and let's prevent all these bad things from happening to you. They don't get paid for that. How do you support these programs? You support them by charging more than things actually cost. So you can actually pay for a better community that these institutions are in. Hospitals don't just service the patients that are in the hospital. They service the community at large. And when you look at the billed charges, it's, it's not accurate to look at a billed charge. And you have to look at what the insurance companies are paying and what they're telling you you're responsible for. And if the insurance companies actually paid what they're supposed to pay, then you wouldn't get big bills. Right? Why are you getting a bill? It's because someone else didn't pay the bill. It's the same thing as the car insurance industry. If your mechanic and your body shop guy says the damage is 10 grand, your insurance company only paid five, you have to pay the other five and you don't get your car back, you're going to pay the other five because you want your car. That's what's happening here. Insurance companies are just not upholding their end of the social contract. We're taking your money, but we're going to Put our interest in the profits of shareholders and our market price and not necessarily pay out so that you're getting the care that you expect to get based on our contract with you and that's that's one of the reasons i'm here i'm here to help educate the public to say there are changes happening and it doesn't appear that they're for the good so look into it we'll give you some some hints as to where to go we'll try to educate you we'll give you some literature to read and uh, then if you don't like what you hear and what you see, speak up, speak to your representatives, tell them, I don't like this. I want good health care. I want good access. I don't want to be told, I'm sorry, you, you, you can't have this procedure or you have to wait or we're right. not approving this medication or right. we're taking away the approval. People yeah. don't hear that. They want to know that For I sure. paid this money, I have my doctors and I'm going to be taken care of. For sure. We're trying to educate people as to what they're about to lose because of the massive changes in healthcare right now. Right, yeah, Dr. Holler, I, I, I love it. I love it. Keep up the great work. We're going to get back, get you back here very soon. I really enjoyed this. Uh, thank, thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate your, your invitation, and uh, we're happy to continue serving as long as we can. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. Care. Bye. Bye. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. It's been a fantastic show. Uh, tune in at 8 p.m. Eastern. I will be hosting the Next Gen Live. We'll be having about six people on the panel tonight. So it'll be a bit, very, very busy show. 
as always, I will be back with Rory Sodder in the news next week. Uh, God bless. Much love. Cheers, everyone.